From the Glen Lazarus Gymnastics Centre at Sydney Olympic Park, it's the Rugby League Cemetery. Yes, this is the Rugby League Cemetery and today we're going back quite a long way. We're going back 21 years to surely the most unusual grand final ever played. Certainly the most unusual way for a grand final to be decided. I'm talking about 1999 Melbourne Storm 20, St George Illawarra Dragons 18 in front of 107,999 at the old stadium Australia before it was, uh, before the capacity was reduced, the old Olympic Stadium. The first grand final there uh, and a very, very strange time in rugby league, of course, the, uh, the Super League War had happened two years prior. Uh, they'd reformed the competition as the NRL in 1998 with 20 teams. Thanks very much. Uh, and by 1999, they'd started booting them out. The Rams and the Chargers were gone. St. George and Illawarra had merged. They were down to 17 teams. It's a very, very, it's a, it's a very, very strange time in rugby league that this game is played. And, uh, and Gazzy, I think you see that in the two sides and the way that they line up. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Really enjoyed this game as per usual. And you couldn't be more right. The, the, we're in a situation in the game where, uh, as most people will know, Super League brought incredible money into the sport. Uh, there was people, sort of your average first graders, um, you know, Steve Edmonds, the great example, was being paid an amount that ends up being more in 97 than Andrew Johns gets paid in 2004 just as a guide, uh, salaries tend to go up. Uh, Andrew Johns by the Knights in 04 gets about four or 500,000, which is about the range that Edmund was getting in, in 97. So we've got this crazy time in the game. We come back together. And how do you put this back together? The answer is not very easily. Uh, right. You put two sides together. All these players have got contracts. We've got the St. George have merged with Illawarra. And we're in a situation where basically, I think we'll start with them. You've merged two sides together, both of which were probably over the cap by themselves and neither of which was particularly forced to shed any players. Ah. Uh, in, in fact, they even brought Anthony Mundine back from the Super League to play for them. So uh, that's, I think, a good place to start if we want to reflect about the teams. Is uh, If you look through the Dragons team, we have Jamie Angeco, who was a representative centre winger, often a centre, mm. playing uh, on, on a wing. We have Nathan Blacklock, one of the great wingers of, of the modern era on a wing. Yeah. And we inexplicably have the great Rod Wishard uh, on bench yeah. Uh, yeah. playing for them. Um, and then we go, well, you know, why didn't they fit them all in and squeeze them in? Well, the answer to that was that they have Sean Timmons at one centre. They have Paul McGregor, Kangaroo Tourist at the other centre. And they actually have available for this game, but not playing because he's sort of semi-injured, retired, Mark Coyne, who's fit to play but had pulled out in the middle of the year. So you've got this situation uh, where they have all these backs just melded together from two sides that have good backs. They aren't forced to shed any of them and they just carry them through in this weird sort of side. The halves, very similar. We have Mundine, one of the really exciting and, and talented 5.8s of the era, playing 5.8. And we have Trent Barrett, one of the up-and-coming, really talented 5.8s that goes on to have a very good career playing halfback. They're just moulding these guys into a side that pretty much at no other point in the game would this really ever have happened. I don't know what you think. No, that's... that's Am I right? No, you're absolutely right. Um, it's, it's very odd. And you look at the team and, it, and, and the Wishart thing is a really good example and Mark Coyne and all this, that they have these weird surpluses in certain positions because they've just mashed the two clubs together and they don't... They can keep everyone. And 
this was kind of this is their year, isn't it? Because it's such a quirk. It's yeah. it's a real corruption of the competition, right? Like because you have this team that is effectively two clubs, best players all put into the one side. Um, it's it you kind of these seasons ninety eight ninety nine probably two thousand to an extent as well. You almost the what I never realised at the time being a young kid, but if you were watching that now, you would really feel this is a bit of a farce because this has got very little to do with that there's a lot of luck involved in this and a lot of things that have nothing to do with football or even the management of clubs. Like it's as much about you happen, you happen to join super league and happen to have all these players that you can afford to get in on money. So you have a couple of years where you're very good or you happen to have just merged and they've let you keep everybody. So you happen to have a couple of years where you have this big advantage over everybody else. Um, it's a very, it's a very, very unusual and outlying uh, period in the game, and and the dragons that dragons team is ridiculous. I'll run you. I go through it. Patton, Blacklock, McGregor, Timmins, Ainscoe, Mundine, Barrett, Likevold, Brown, Smith, Tracy, Thompson, Bartram, Fitzgibbon, Ward, Mackay, Wishart. It, there were about God, ten or eleven rep players in that side. Um, three on the bench, and three of them were on the bench. Two at the time, one future, one future yep. to be fair, but. Um, to, to, to sort of had, who had been in the mid-90s at the top of the tree. Yeah. Uh, and look, it is, it's, it's, it's such a difficult situation because you're right, you're entitled if you're certain clubs to just think, well, this was just not fair income. But it's also, once they got into the war, there was almost no way out of this because what happens is you merge Illawarra and St George. And all right, so Illawarra have probably paid Trent Barrett or the ARL paid Trent Barrett quite a lot of money to play for, uh, for Illawarra. To keep and him away someone from else, Super League. Yeah, or to, to keep, keep him, him away. Yeah. So he's on a, on a contract for a lot of money. And this uh, other player from Illawarra and from St George are on a lot of money and they're on contract to play for that club. And nobody else... Well, there's no guarantee anyone else can pay that money either now that the game's back together. You can't just say, well, you know, we're going to force you to lose Trent Barrett. He's got a whatever, three, $400,000 contract or something, and Souths can't just pay for it. The, the, the other clubs don't have that money or other clubs are also loaded over the cap. I know, for example, um, Newcastle were well oh, yeah. over what would yeah. be allowed. The, the Broncos were well over what would be allowed. So these clubs just can't go, oh, yeah, well, well Barrett's available, we'll take him. There was a lot of haves and have-nots. And it's such a – you're right, it, it's just – really unfair and it's it goes sort of both ways unavoidable yeah that's yeah. right that's sort of the main but once you got yourself into the mess they got themselves in there wasn't much of a way out of it and it's so funny to see how the dragons worked this because they were almost stuck in a situation where they had to try and find spots for all these players like brad mckay was a had played lock forward um for australia uh he started in the centers way back in the late 80s he's sort of certainly known as a lock forward back rower and they're so stacked with sort of thompson and bartram and and these guys in the back row that he sort of ends up for no real reason, just pinch hitting at hooker and spelling yeah. Nathan Brown, just because they have to find a way to get this guy who had been a fair income joint competition test player into the, into the game. And, and, you know, and Rod Wishard is coming on. We'll talk more about interchange later, but Wishard yes, comes on for Nathan Blacklock. Like yeah. it, you're in a situation where you're trying to find all of these players a role. Trent Barrett, Certainly could play halfback and he did that later in his career when he had to, but he was an out and out 5 eight, And he's playing, you know, if you were going to spend all this money on Mundine playing 5-8, I'm sure they would have preferred to have one of those two and have an actual halfback 
It's yeah, just distracting. It's, oh, absolutely. You're stuck, you're stuck moving Barrett to halfback to, to manufacture a, a, a cobble together a side out of what you've got in a way that I don't think I've ever seen a side structured like this before since no. the way they just get all these parts of very good players and have to somehow squish them in. Some, into a role? Yeah, it is. It's, it's really odd. And it, and it obviously took them some time to work that out because they finished sixth with all those good players and with all this quality in the team and, and all the advantages they had over a lot of the clubs. They still only finished sixth. They finished sixth, they, six points off the lead. Um, and they have to make their way through the finals from, from, the, from the bottom half. This is in the old, of course, the old loathed uh, McIntyre system. Uh, they finished sixth. They beat Melbourne. They actually played Melbourne in the first week of the finals in a 3v6. Melbourne finished third, um, which is funny because the Dragons end up going into the grand finals mass favourites, paying about $1.40. Uh, they beat them 34-10 in the first week, which I guess is probably why. Then they had to play the Roosters. They beat them 20, uh, 28-18 in the second week. And then they knocked off the minor premiers, the Sharks, 24-8 in the preliminary final. Um, that there is a sense that it, you, you can follow the trajectory of that season a bit, right? That they had obviously taken some time to work out what they were doing and push these two teams together. But once they did it, they were on a real run of form. Yeah, yeah. And look, you can see why, because it, let's not beat around the bush and call this much of a merger. Like, this is a, a takeover by St George by all intents and purposes. They Certainly financially. Yeah, and, and look, you've got nine Steelers in the in the team. So you get these guys coming in and all of a sudden they probably feel that, yeah, not the same binding or passion for that club that they probably had at the Steelers. They're dealing with, you're trying to mix the, co- I'm not sure how the coaching staff thrashed out, but you're trying to bolt the coaching staffs together and yeah. and all these players that are going, well, we're St. George players and we're Illawarra players. That probably took some time and wasn't easy. So they certainly deserve some credit for getting themselves um, together like this, because I, I don't want to sell them short. They had all these advantages, and it it's ridiculous. But other clubs did too. Brisbane, Brisbane's team from '98 to 2000 is the most unfair side that anyone's ever put together. It's um, almost they should almost be sort of called out for not winning in '99. They were that good. Well, they should never have lost a game. You, I'm glad you brought that seasons. up because they didn't yeah. just lose a game. They didn't just lose one. Yeah. They lost eight out of their first ten. That's in '99. Yeah. It's just mm. the most bizarre outlaw. They lost eight out of their first ten. Then won 11 Still in made a row. the finals. Still made the final because they won 11 <laughs> yeah. in a row. Mm. Uh, and then it finished eighth uh, and ended up going out in the semis. Bizarre. I, I guess we should yeah. talk about Melbourne as well. Um, formed, very strange that they were formed by Super League after the Super League competition. They, this really, their formation really happened in 1997 when Super League was already going on. And it wasn't at all clear that the leagues, that there was a sense that they probably would, but it wasn't known for sure that the two competitions would be going back together. So the Storm come in in 1998 and they're kind of put together. And it's funny because at the same time as the league is making all these Sydney clubs either disappear or merge, they bring another one in in a, in a part of the country that has got no history of rugby league. But the actual team, and I might run you through that team as well, it's, it's really put together mostly from the offcuts of Super League sides or ARL sides that haven't made it this far. So there's a lot of Hunter Mariners in there, for example. There's a lot of Western Reds. Uh, there's a couple of South Queensland Crushers. It's kind of, it, it's this weird kind of barbarians team made up from all the defunct clubs. Yep, that's right. That's right. There's, um, I think in this game, there's, there's four Mariners playing and Scott Hill's injured, which is five. Um, yep. There's at least off the top of my head, two Reds. Um, 
and also Robbie Kern's not playing. Um, there's one charger on the wing in Marcus By, and Aaron Mule was a crusher, and there might be some more crushers I've missed. I, I didn't go looking for how many crushers there were, but I'm sure Mule was one. Um, was you're right. There's, there's not a lot of... And um, sort of Lazarus was the one... Uh, if you like, sort of casualty of Brisbane <laughs> um, when they came back is that they basically, that's the, sort of the one thing they yeah. couldn't keep on top of everything else. So you're right. It, it is a very strange setup in, in that way. I know, I think what sort of happened with Melbourne is that they were always intended, the Super League always intended to bring Melbourne in in a second year from the very yeah. start when they thought they'd run the ARL or, or, or have some sort of partnership to the point where they had a breakaway. It was always intended year two would be Melbourne. I'm not sure why, as opposed to year one. But anyway, that was always the plan. And the ARL had looked very hard at bringing in a, uh, a team to Melbourne during the 90s. And it was sort of one of their spots on, on the radar. And I wonder if maybe the fact that they weren't actually playing in Super League made them a bit more palatable in the sort of yeah, piece. Possibly. or It's just they didn't have the connotation. Because you wonder why they wouldn't, as, you know, if you're going to cobble together this side, why wouldn't they have done it? In Perth or, or, or Adelaide. Um, but there's also the missed you know. opportunity, right? That all these guys, like, if you were, if you were Souths or Balmain or Wests or Norths, and you see all these good players become available, like Brett Kamali, Glenn, uh, Glenn Lazarus, Rodney Howe, all these really good players, Robbie Ross, you know, um, Stephen Kearney's in the team to wear a Nikau, all these guys. If you saw all them become available, you would just be you'd be screaming at the ARL, going, "What are you doing? You're sending them down to you're sending them down to Melbourne to this new club that's been confected by Super League." Any of the while while South Sydney, for example, are running guys that would never have played in the competition at any other time, like kind of reserve grade quality players getting into first grade, and same with Balmain and all these other clubs. Mm. It's a um, it's 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 a sign, I guess that of how much and I think this whole game is a sign of how much of the war Super League actually won that you know you in, by 1999 you've got this entirely new club that's been able to gobble up all these really good players playing against two ARL clubs who've been forced to merge in front of 108,000 people at a new stadium the game's decided by the video referee which Super League brought in um and a fortnight after the grand, I think it's about a fortnight after the grand final, South and North are told that they're out. Um, this is this is kind of this is Super League's day, isn't it? In a way. Yeah. Look, look to an extent, um, I, I don't think that's an un, unfair analysis. Only that, uh, I just uh, when you say they won, I just don't think the ARL ever didn't intend to do this as well. Um, I think the only the, the ARL would have done this. They would have put a team in in Melbourne. Um, they wanted to get rid of the Sydney teams and sort of chickened on it yeah. a few times. So I, I, so I don't really get the sense that the ARL, I don't want to position them as much more virtuous towards Sydney clubs than, no. than, than Melbourne. I think the only difference is, I think if you want to be really practical about it, what the NRL did or what the Super League influencers in the NRL did is that if you put a new team in, if you put them in, and this is what the ARL got wrong time and time again, if you're going to have a new team, they have to have this. If they're going to work, they have to have a good team. Like you can't yeah. put a team in Melbourne, Adelaide, Perth. And the ARL for years brought four teams at once, two, two or three at once, and let these stinking teams not win any games and wonder yeah. why it didn't work. On the and basis that it was I, kind I agree of this, with you. Yeah. yeah. This is a mystery. Like, South could have had this team. And that what that could have done for the game, for South to have inherited Glenn Lazarus, Brett Kamali, 
uh, you know, Robbie Ross. But but when once you do put Melbourne in, it's probably the, one of the few times, with the exception of Brisbane, and Brisbane was sort of so good it couldn't not work. It's really one of the few times they ever properly gave them an opportunity to do well. Um, yeah, in fairness, they probably really... went on to do it at the Titans. The Titans had a really good team to start and won games, but, you know, it's the Gold Coast, so it, that was stupid anyway. But, yeah. In, in the... In the Arthurson kind of era in the early 90s in particular, mm. and the, particularly the 1995 admission of the four clubs, they mm. kind of say, you're lucky to be in. This is a great privilege to be in the ARL. So that's as much as we can do. We've done our bit. How about it? Letting yeah. you in. Do your best, but it's, yeah, you're on your own. It. Yeah, and it's very much not like that. There is a story yes. that the Hunter Mariners, and this is one of my favourite real rugby league stories, that the Mariners offered to relocate and merge with the Gold Coast Chargers and were offering the Chargers their full team, all their contracted players. Mm. I, just, I just want to take you to a, a, an alternative timeline where this game is the Gold Coast Chargers versus the St. George Laura Dragons. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I tell you, that had been a side because the Chargers already had um, Marcus By. They had Preston Campbell, let's keep in mind. Um, and then they would have added Brett Kamali, Scott Hill, uh, Richard Swain, Paul Marquette. Getting uh, they would Robbie Ross. Yeah, they're getting it. Robbie Ross. They would have also had um, Willie Mason was playing in the 18, so they would have got Willie Mason a couple of years, about two years later. Yeah. Um, and they also, being on the Gold Coast, you would have thought they'd get Lazo, who's living in Brisbane. Yeah. And lives he's, in Queensland now. Like, he's still up there now. So he obviously is, that's where he wanted to locate. Yeah, so that's he, a he, he's, um, yeah, so he's got Lazo. It wouldn't have been, I don't know. But they would have got him too. I'm just. I'm just uh, we talk about Sears, but this could have been the Chargers. Yeah. And I tell you what, okay. I would have been, wouldn't it? It's not a bad alternative timeline. Can I ask you, what do you reckon Lazo would have looked like in the sort of the aqua? Outstanding. Big sheen, Lazo. Yeah, he would have looked good, wouldn't he? The big the, fella. It was a the, big sheet of aqua. I reckon it's like that's a Pacific a, Ocean. It's a lot of, <laughs> it's a lot of teal. Yeah. <laughs> he looks well. He's a beautiful shape. Um, yeah. The storm it's actually. Young and vibrant. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Storm actually <laughs> did quite well in, in 99. They'd finished third um, and had won, I think, eight of their first 10 games or something to start the season. They were quite a good... Like, they had a really good... Eight of their first 11, it was, uh, to start the season. and then But then lost to the Dragons in the first week. And it feels like their bubbles probably burst. But then they beat Canterbury, the previous year's grand finals, 24-22 in the second week of the finals. And then they managed to get past Parramatta, 18-16, uh, in the preliminary final to set up this game. Um, Paul but the Parra. other thing that, yeah, Paul Parra. But they also, they also had uh, Scott Hill out of this game with a knee injury and they had uh, Robbie Kearns out of the game as well with an injury. So uh, I suspect that injury actually might have been to do with the, the horse riding incident. Um, I was going to say, he's missed a run there. If he's missed Origin and the Grand Final due to the horse riding. Due to horse yeah. riding, yeah. Um, I'll take you through this side very quickly. Robbie Ross, Craig Smith, Aaron Mool, Tony Martin, Marcus Bayer. Matt Guy, Brett Kamali, Lazarus, Richard Swain, Rodney Howe, Paul Marquette, Steve Kearney, Tawira Nickow, Matt Rua, Danny Williams, Russell Bowden, and Ben Rorty, coached by Chris Anderson. Uh, couple of th- a couple of things from the pregame, if you'll indulge me. Um, I'll indulge you. I hate jet fighters flying over sporting events. <laughs> it's just rubbish. It's a waste of everybody's time. And anyone who likes it is an idiot. Yeah, I'll cop that. Oh, it doesn't do anything for me. I'm not sure what the purpose of it is. No, um, they always carry on. Like it's this, oh, the F-111. Who cares? Like, good luck to them. I'm not... But what do I want to say for before the football or the Grand Prix or whatever it is? 
Um, yeah. it's, I don't know. I, I sort of, but like, I think, yes, I agree, but I would just make the counterpoint that I obviously have always got a lot out of them running the Westpac helicopter over Newcastle home games. Like, yeah, well, that's... Yeah. Case, making that big whirring noise and then it lands on the stadium, makes it like it's ringing in your ears, some kid gets out and waves and they leave again. It's always been a good experience. It never, it never fails to have an impact. Uh, the other one, of course, is the... Um, they also had the Goodyear blimp up in the sky. Now, yeah, I miss the blimp. So do I. And there was a real phase in the late 90s, early 2000s where the blimp, there was always a blimp at sporting events, just hovering, not doing anything, just above the ground. There was the Goodyear blimp. I remember the... Wor- uh, not the Werther's original. That would have been good. The, the Whitman's... <laughs> no, no, no. This is even dumber. The Whitman's sampler blimp. Yeah, good. You know, Whitman's block, a box of chocolates. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they had a blimp for a while. Um, Good. Yeah. And um, the other thing which I think we have to mention is Rabs announcing the national anthem will be performed by Hugh Jackman, uh, who's wowed audiences on the West End in the role of Curly in Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, did get me, it did get me up having Big Hugh do the anthem. It's good to see some gravitas brought to the events, isn't it? It was, yeah. I, do you think there were a lot of people Our at the Hugh. ground... Just, do you think there were a lot of people at the ground that day who, were, who would be familiar with his work as Curly in Oklahoma? Uh, yeah, I would have thought Jamie Angeco had seen it a few times. I, I think that's why he signed in England. <laughs> Closer view. Closer to the West End. Yeah, I think that's probably yeah. right. The ground is ridiculously big, isn't it? You forget how big and stupid the Olympic Stadium was before they, yeah. after, you know, before they fixed it after the Olympics. Like, it was just those ends both ends where there's no roof over them and they just seem to climb into the sky. It's unbelievable. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's pointlessly big. I'd love to. I, I'll tell you what I'll do through the week. I'll put up a, um, I'll put up a thing on Facebook. We can ask people if anyone was there, what the view was like, where they were sitting and what they saw, whether they were able to see anything, because mm. I, I would be stunned. People up in that top tier, God almighty. It's quite, it's stupidly big now. Never mind. Yeah, when you can let an extra what twenty five thousand people. Twenty five thousand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just. I just think it bears mentioning. Uh, I guess we can. Oh, one more thing we have to talk about from the pregame, mm. but I don't know if you twigged to this. This is Blocker's last appearance on Channel Nine. So he got the yeah. he got the rocket about a month after this. He interviews on the sideline, Laurie Daly and a very uncomfortable looking Paul Harrigan who had only just retired that year. Uh, he, call, he refers to Melbourne as the Storms, which I was very keen on. But he also, after the little awkward interview, he looks down the barrel of the camera and says, well, Rabs, the only thing to say is, bring it on! Yeah, it was good. It was good chat. Uh, I did. I also had a note on this. Firstly, how good that was really got me going. Precursor to sort of the Gus Gould orations mm. in origin. Yeah. And, um, and secondly, just the fact that much like his caricature on Billy Birmingham, he spends that entire interview interviewing Daly and Chief about what impact the front row will have Always. in the game. Yeah. Like, the, the only thing he talks about is the forward forwards, like, what influence. Then he goes to Chief. Um, some say that forwards decide games like this. <laughs> yeah, some. You. <laughs> you say that. Every <laughs> game. Decide every game. Yeah, me too. I I love him. He's back on Fox now with Vossi, and him and Vossi have a great one too. They're the perfect combination for really like methy Saturday games, like when the Titans play um, the Bad Raiders from a few years ago and stuff like that. They saw the Warriors versus like the the Titans or something when it's forty-two thirty, and just you need just that the comic. You need to acknowledge the comedy of the game. They're very good. Yeah, they are. I'm glad. I'm glad you got on the commentary because um. 
if uh, if we were getting close to getting in the game, yeah, we are. I just wanted to pause with you and just talk a little bit about a couple of rabisms that probably yes. won't fit into the flow of the game that he's got on here. Sure. It, we, can I run you through a couple? By all means. All right. So in the thirty second minute of the game. Rabs just comes out with this wild claim that he was emailed during the week by <laughs> Japanese viewers. <laughs> he goes, I've been emailed during the week from our Japanese viewers and I, I welcome them and apologise for not mentioning them. So he's suggesting that these Japanese viewers have been emailing in saying when you welcome the international viewers, which you've probably met on before. Why haven't you mentioned Japan? I just I heard that this ever happened. <laughs> that rattled me completely. I just... Yeah. I heard that and it, I thought, who, who are these people in Japan? I'm trying to picture people in Japan who have watched, who've, been, who've cared enough about the rugby, they've found a way to watch the rugby league in Japan, whatever it is, channel 52,000 or whatever it is, and not only have taken the time to watch the game, to tune in and watch the game, they've then taken the time to email Rabs and say, why have they've, then, they've taken the time to be bothered about not being acknowledged and taking the time to email Channel 9 and or Rabs and say, come on, why haven't you mentioned us? We're watching too. I just, I, I find it a little They're bit... They're polite people. They're polite people. If they had have been shunned, they would have mentioned it, I think. I think that's that one's mentioning. It's just the whole premise of them watching in the first place. Yeah. I just, I, I can't, yeah. Well, that's, that's just, one. So I'm glad you yeah, got onto that. I, um, I love the talk of international viewers. He goes through, he's a wonderful. I'm going to, if you'll indulge me, that I will. at one point he says... Um, we've got viewers all through Europe, America, Asia, New Zealand, and Papua New Guinea. <laughs> <laughs> That's your key demographics That's right it. there. All four corners of the globe. Well, it is post-Super League War, so you would have had a lot in Asia, I'd imagine, I that a lot of people in Beijing were, were well, that's why they tuning had, in. That's why they had Laurie Bailey on the commentary, <laughs> yeah. because it's a household yeah. name in China. Yeah, That's right. Um, another rabism. So to keep in the, in the manner of shout-outs, did you hear yes. in the second half give a shout-out to the Peacekeepers? I didn't hear. I heard. Um, I heard Lazo yeah. give a shout Lazo out to the peacekeepers no. in the in the presentation. I didn't hear Rabs do it. No, Rabs did in the middle of the game. He just Fantastic. starts talking about how many of the peacekeepers are probably watching. I bet they were. Yeah, Timor wasn't it at that yeah, time? Yeah, there was a lot of talk of yeah. Timor in the game. I, yeah, it's yeah, unusual. Um, all right, third one. Now this answers one of the great questions we've asked ourselves. Now I theorised. Yes that this may have been the year that we didn't get a shot to the leagues club. Yes. So I can confirm, firstly, we didn't get a shot to the leagues club, but Rabs obviously hasn't got the memo. And on about three different St. George tries or goals and stuff, he's declared back, ah, I wonder how they're going at the leagues club right now. And it starts launching St. George leagues club chat. And then it just goes to stony silence. No <laughs> cut to the leagues club. So no one's given him the memo. I don't know. We need to find the 98 yeah. final and see if they cut because 99, no go. No Labs club. has not been told. Yeah, he's just going right. off, off muscle memory. As, as I know, and as discussed previously on this very program, I love the footage of the Leagues Club and I would love them to bring it back because um, mm. it's very funny because it was always the same every year. It was just people in footy jumpers with balloons and streamers mm. cheering at where you knew that they were going to be cheering. Their team had just scored in the grand final. Um, and you then wonder why be... they didn't just shoot to the crowd. No. Because there was wrong. also people in the crowd. Like you could shoot to the crowd and show here's some other fans that actually bothered to pay tickets to, to come to Are the you... game. Arguably yeah. madder than the ones in the leagues club. Like just as yeah. they would actually the... come to the ground. Yeah. yeah. They might even be more excited. But the great yeah, thing no, about I'm... it is that the, the, 
I think your speculation was that because Melbourne were in the grand final and didn't have a leagues club, that that might be why. And I increasingly, I think that's probably right. I think we, yeah. I think we might have busted this. I think we might have cracked this case wide open. It open. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's good. It's about time. Yeah. Um, and just lastly, I just wanted to lastly toss this out. So, in the middle of the game, Wayne Bartram slots a goal, and Rab starts declares that his kicking accuracy has gone up um, dramatically, or he's become much more accurate since moving to a yellow kicking tee. I did hear that. Mm. He also what do you reckon it is about the yellow tee? He also describes Wayne Bartrip as the man they call Forrest Gump. <laughs> yeah, that was good too. <laughs> well, that's about. I, I, I don't know anything about that. I'm willing to be told what that's about. But yeah. I had some speculation that the yellow tee, that he had trouble moving to a Halligan clear super tee or blue super tee from the sand, but the yellow gave him the sand feel. It looked that a bit might like be the right. Sand. Or maybe yeah, it was, really made him feel more was, comfortable. Maybe this was his first tee. Maybe he'd gone from sand. To T. I get a yeah. feeling that when we covered 95 and the, the 95 origin with Bartram kicking the only points, I reckon, I reckon that was off sand. So maybe that he was, was holding. Yeah. yeah. I reckon he's held off on the sand and then finally taken up the T and like everybody become a much better kicker. Uh, mm. Yeah. Fascinating. You may well be right. Yeah. I'm glad that you've brought all three of those things up because they were all in my notes. Um, if we can talk about the first half a little bit, I mean, <laughs> Melbourne don't sort of do pretty much nothing. Don't really fire a shot. The Dragons uh, are a bit brighter. But can I just say, Gaz, and this might be sacrilegious. I know this game is remembered fondly, but it stinks. Most of it absolutely stinks. The quality of football, both sides drop the ball. It's scrappy. It's slow. It's It's not particularly good football. No, no, the first half's not, not a particularly good game. Um, like it's one of those things that the Dragons are just on top of them. Melbourne can't really go with them at that point, no. which is funny. Every commentator had this real theory of Melbourne's pack being too good and St George rolled them. Um, but, it, yeah, look, at what, it was a scrappy game. You could, it, again, you might come back. These are two teams that have been cobbled together fairly quickly, one that year and one the year before. Yeah. Um, it was it was scrappy. There's some bright moments we'll talk about in a minute. But aside from that, there's not a lot. It started with both teams kicking out, going sort of redlining, kicking it out <laughs> full past the second line within the first five minutes, yeah. which is a sign. Um, now, I want to talk about this going. because, yeah, I, yeah, I'm glad you brought this up. That Nathan Brown, both of these things are interesting. Nathan Brown, we talked before yeah. about how the... There are, St George are effectively playing two five eights. They've got Anthony Mundane and Trent mm. Barrett. I think that reflects a little bit in the fact that Nathan Brown jumps out a lot on last tackle to first receiver and does a lot of the kicking. He puts in mm. sort of quite a few kicks in the game. And the fir- off the first set, I think it is, jumps down the short side and just blasts it over the red line and into touch. That's a point of interest. But also, Brett Kamali ends up winning the Clive Churchill medal in this game. And in the first half... He kicks it out on the full, kicks one really kind of meekly to be caught by Luke Patton in goal, kicks another one dead, and sort of, for, certainly for the first half an hour of the game, if not more, he's had, like, then, and of course, the Blacklock thing, he... Just going to suggest you've missed one. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> fairly important kick. He, he just stinks it up. Like, he's having a... T- if they had gone on to lose, mm. Pip would have said, geez, Kamali really bottled it in the big game. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about him in the second half because I don't want to sell him short and they go really no. well, but that's one of the um, least impressive Churchill medalist games I've ever seen. Not wrong. In terms of performance. Um, I was going to ask you who you thought should have won and I personally think result... I actually would have given it to this guy anyway 
And I yeah. certainly would have had St. George one. I reckon Craig Smith. Oh, uh, it's tremendous. The, the Dragons Craig Smith. Um, not to it be was confused a... with that. Have they ever been two players with the same name in a grand final before? Just for the record? I'd, I'd be very surprised. I'd be so really that's surprised. That's a good point. Yeah. There's a, yeah. Yeah, Kamali just said, what, to get sort of back on it, I, I feel that Craig Smith was dominant in the front row. And otherwise, I don't personally feel there was a particularly dominant player on either side. No. And I guess once Melbourne come back, Kamali plays well and we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. So, you know, I, I'm not like really spitting it that he got it. But it's not, it, I, I can think of very few performances where I would say you won the Churchill with that level of game. No. Without bagging no. him. It's just not a great game by he sets up one of the comeback tries, then he sets up the last mm. one. But no, he doesn't do that much at all. It's it's not a mm. it's not a Churchill. There's no standout player on the field. Craig Smithy right makes thirteen hit ups in the first half. Um, he was phenomenal. He had such a strong game. He yeah. A, I, I honestly, I just think he outright even in the result that they got, I think he probably should have won that. He was so yeah, probably. I think um, if Glenn Lazarus had that game, if Glenn Lazarus oh, plays yeah. for the Dragons and has that game and they lose, they'd have given it to him. Like, you well, know, Lazarus, like a Clyde Lazarus, a big name on the losing team, plays like Smith did, he'd have won it. Well, Lazarus Smith made, wasn't that big of a name. By, by contrast, made five hit-ups in the, in the first half, mm. um, which might give you some idea of the work rate of Craig Smith. Um, the, we, might do, we might look through the tries very quickly. Uh, mm. In the first half, so St. George, of course, go in at 14-0 at half-time. The first try uh, is... A bit of work from Anthony Mundine uh, gets it, rolls in a little short grubber from ten out. Quite a clever little kick, and Fitzgibbon wins the race. Um, Craig Fitzgibbon, here's one: has there have there ever been two Craig Smiths in a grand final? Is a very good question. Two or two people by the same name, but also, have there, has there ever been someone score tries in two losing grand finals? So Fitzgibbon scores in this one. He scores the next year for the uh, for Easts. Mm. He played in. He lost four and won one in his in his career. Um, I, I, I was be... going to ask if anyone had ever lost as many as him as well. Minicello yeah, yeah, yeah. might have. Um, yeah, Minicello was still playing when they lost under Smith. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So Minicello probably lost as many as he did. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Did Minicello no, play? In, did Minicello play, play in two thousand? I don't think so. No, he wouldn't maybe. have. No. So I wonder if anyone's ever lost as many as Smith did. But mm. uh, sorry, Fitzgibbon did. But um, Fitzy. Yeah, you're right. That's a good question. I'll tell you a couple of things on Fitzy. A really nice try, as you said. Uh, I'm glad you brought him up because he had a really good game. He looked. He's remembered later for being this real workhorse, like your 50 tackle sort of player. Yeah. He had really nice legs when he was younger and moved very nicely. And um, he he makes an absolutely wonderful Sattler try saver at one point with his, a cover tackle that's just beautiful. Um, piece of football. He makes a couple of really nice sort of uses his feet to make half breaks and he, he scores this try and I thought he was super impressive and frankly you know when you look at him and Paul McGregor standing next to each other uh, the wrong one's playing centre and the wrong one played for Australia at centre like the young up and coming Fitzgibbon is about 10 times faster and more mobile than plotting old Mary sticking it up on that edge Far Mary, out. they look identical but, but geez, sorry I don't I don't mean to lay, uh, sort of pick up a point from, a, from previous episodes, but Mary McGregor stinks again in this game. He doesn't do anything. He, everyone is 10 times faster and, and, and more agile than him. I don't That's understand. why I brought up Fitzgibbon, because Fitzgibbon is a young second rower who ends up being this workhorse who looks, he just because he's got the same haircut, there's two yeah. bald guys that look the same. And this young back rower who goes on to be one of the best workhorse tacklers ever is so much faster and more agile than, than the centre that he looks like. 
Yeah. It's, I couldn't agree with you more. McGregor, look, Stinks. we need to go back. We need to go back far enough to watch a game where he might have been good. But we've yeah. now watched him in the mid-90s the other, in origin. Maybe he was good in the under-16s. We've watched him in the late 90s and he's slow plotting. Like Trent Barrett plays with this lovely width. He always did. Yeah. And it worked so well with Gaznier and Cooper. And, and his go was to lovely give this long early ball to the centre. And he plays it so nicely here where he does it all the time. But the, the whole thing's pointless. It's this pointless operation of giving these beautiful long early balls to Paul McGregor who just plods in into nothingness. It, I couldn't have time for him. I, nothing we've seen Stink. has given me any indication he was any good. No. And uh, no, absolutely right. I, yeah, I, I think we've said enough on that. I know, he sc- I know he scores in the second half. I saw, uh, looking up the teams, I saw that he had scored in this game and I thought, I bet you it's some plotting rubbish where he catches it and falls over the line. Sure enough. <laughs> anyway, uh, yes, yeah, so Fitzgibbon try makes it 6-0. And then after 16 minutes, Rod Wishart comes on for Nathan Blacklock. Uh, mm. I think we'll talk about that in a minute. I think we're going to get to Blacklock in a second. But uh, then just a moment in between the two tries. Um, Brett Kamali gets caught on last a couple of times in the first half and one of them the ball ends up with Rodney Howe who grubbers the ball yeah. comes back off the grubber to Danny Williams and Danny Williams then grubbers and puts it dead Sterlow very scathing of this he says I know he's had a lot of su- he's had some success kicking this season but that was not the time for Rodney Howe to grubber for himself I'd like to see what the success was. I was wondering. So would I. I was very, it really perked my interest. But also, mm. can I suggest it's always time for Rodney Howe to grubber for himself? You've got, to go, you've got to back your impact players. Especially with Danny Williams following it up. Like, it's the one-two punch. It's, you can't sort of predict these things. That is it's a very some, good example of how Melbourne were going in the first half. Yeah. A couple of brief things um, just there when you talk about Wishard coming on. It's just a little segue to some interchanges. Um, I won't go over too much ground. We've sort of already had our complaints against the rules of forwards going on and off. You had Lazo off at eight, not at 21. We've set our piece in other episodes. We won't go back to it. But one thing I just want to draw your attention to, to go with, it just goes to our point of hodgepodging together this St. George side. Nathan Brown goes off in the eighth minute for Brad Mackay to play hooker. Yeah. He doesn't play hooker. Brad Mackay plays hooker till about the 16th minute. And then Nathan Brown comes back on. Like that's the level St. George had got to is that Brown's been on and off in the first 20 minutes. Yeah. Like they kind he of starts, confect- he goes off. Yeah. They're just trying yeah. to fit everyone in. And I, I put it to you that Brian Smith in 98 being with the halves rotation and the Canterbury game being the obvious example of this is that coaches, overdid the idea of freshness and athleticism and underestimated the impact of stuff like rhythm and feel of the game and that in your key positions you can't just be taking your halves and hookers out of the game because it's not about them being puffed it's about them getting the feel for where the game's at how the game's going what the other team's doing and getting into that flow and being able to read that and do things and you really disrupt them when you're hooking guys on and off on and off Dummy half, like as a dummy half where you've got to pick who's, who's tired and who, who you can run at and all that. It'd drive you absolutely gaga getting taken off that often. Same with halves. And it just yeah. gave the coaches too much scope to be, to be idiotic. Like they just... Which they all are. Which they pretty much all are, yeah. Like you can't, yeah. you just can't, they can't be trusted with this much ability to manipulate and fiddle with the game. Yeah. Uh, there, there is a penalty after 23 minutes. Fitzgibbon puts, a, puts the goal over. A really idiotic push from Danny Williams on the bloke playing the ball. He just get, he's just trying to get up. He just pushes him over for no reason right in front of the post. Um, that makes it 8-0. Unusual brain snap from Danny Williams. No, you, you don't see a lot of it. You don't expect that sort of thing. There's a good moment from Rabs. We, he talks a lot about the crowd and he keeps updating everyone on what the crowd figure is. He makes the point just after this goal that uh, 
the crowd has overtaken the AFL record from the day before, from the AFL grand final. Uh, and he says it's the second time in history that the rugby league grand final has got more, has got a bigger crowd than the AFL. And the, I think the previous time was in the, was in the seventies or the sixties. And he says, it's been a long time between drinks, Melbourne, but we're very proud of it. I don't, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't get it because like crowd records are so stupid because like they just had a bigger stadium and like, I don't think you could really have the AFL really bragging that they had a bigger grand final crowd to us before that. Cause like we were filling the stadium. If you had a hundred thousand, they would have filled it as well for some of those earlier grand finals, you know, yeah. like, well, all of Newcastle would have gone to 97. If you had a hundred thousand people there, everyone in Newcastle would have gone. Like it's not yeah. like we didn't have people wanting to go and he, it's good you put that up because it's this really you forget where the game was was at is that how many times he brings up rugby union and how this is the biggest rugby league or union crowd anywhere in the world. It, it comes up after the, the game bread. during the game, yeah, because it the tops the Bledisloe Cup that had been played earlier that year. Yeah. Yeah, but but this is an interesting time in the sport, and I won't I won't sort of waste too much time on it. But but Super Rugby was a really big threat. It came in at the same time as the Super League. Um, it was going very very well. The Wallabies were very successful. The Wallabies obviously win the World Cup in in um, in '99 and make the final in 2003. Not long after, and they um, they sign not long after this. They they sign Sailor and and Rogers and Takiri, and it's a, there's a real sense that they're under threat. That you know, it's very comical to think of that now because if it's not an event, like they they don't nobody cares what yeah. rugby union's doing, and and but it's this real sort of weird desire to show that we're just as important or, or better than than rugby, and, and it's um it's a funny it's rugby funny. league thing, isn't it? I, yeah. I think rugby league more than any other sport in Australia is always like kind of just like itching for a fight with the other football, like the other types of football. Like they're always on to one of them. They're kind of always looking for a stink, looking to kind of pick them and say, no, 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 we're better. Look at this crowd we've got that's better than yours. Look at these players we've got that are better than yours. It's a real like... This but that's funny... football people, isn't it? It's the yeah, sport. Yeah, yeah. You look at who plays the game, the people that play this game and it's a, it, it's yeah, it appeals to a demographic. It appeals to the people who play it end up being the people who coach and administrate it. And yeah. there's that culture, there's that backs to the walls and stuff. Yeah, it's it up this here. real kind of, yeah. You. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's lovely. <laughs> now we have, it is, it is. It's charming. Now, we have to talk a little bit about the, the probably, the, it's one of the great moments of the match. It's probably one of the great moments in a grand final for mm-hmm. somebody doing something just unbelievable on the biggest day. Um, Nathan Blacklock, a uh, little chip kick from Kamali on halfway, and uh, he just sweeps onto the ball. It's the most majestic bit of movement, gathers it at full pace, leaves them for dead and scores under the posts. Gazzy? Yep. A couple of things. Uh, context is Patton has gone off with a knee injury. Yes. Um, and the commentators probably broach, I think, but have helpfully pointed out that Blacklock has stinks under the high ball, has been having troubles, got no confidence, he's in strife. So I think one of them says, I hope they don't put Blacklock back there when Patton goes off, which ages really well. I yeah, think it's that Rabs. He says, I'll be, su- yeah, Rabs Rabs, says I'll, be, I'll be surprised yeah. if they put him back there. Yeah. I like the idea yeah. of Blacklock being down on confidence, having already scored 23 tries that season. Yeah, he always struck me as someone with no confidence in his ability. <laughs> Black- yeah. <laughs> Never yeah. looked like he thought he, thought he was much good. Um, but yeah, that, that's really good because, I mean, there wasn't anyone else like could do. They're not going to put Rocket Rod Wishard back there. So, I mean, what are they going to do? There wasn't really any options. Sturlow really agitates pro Blacklock. Um, keep in I mind, love this. I, I just I need love to... This. I need to preface this by saying Blacklock has gone off in the 16th minute to be replaced by like 52-year-old Rod Wishard. Yeah. So having scored 23 tries through the season, they take him off in the grand final 
to put Wishart on. For slow foot hands, feet for hands, slow Rod Wishart yeah. aged, you know, sort of 56. It just stinks it up the whole time that he's on. Mm. Um, yeah. they, they, they take Blacklock off. Now, the only reason he's then back on the field is because Patton's got injured. When were they going to bring him back on? This is the 30th minute of the game. What was the plan? When, were they, well, when was Blacklock coming back on? And I'm second, glad you've asked yeah. this. I'm, yeah. I'm glad. Let me answer that part because let me just say, that's why we, the interchange, I didn't bring it up too much before. I just noted what happened. But any idiot, any idiot in the history of mankind, yes. you don't deserve to live if yes. you have Nathan Blacklock in your team in a grand final and take, don't have him on the field for 80 minutes of it. It's not a front rower, not a second rower, and get tired if you are going to play in a grand final because at any point of the game, this could have happened. And yes. it is pure chance that it happened when he was on the field. It could have happened at any other point. And I know he had to move positions, but he could have done this from the wing, from fullback, from centre, from anywhere on the field at any point of the game. And every minute he's not on the field is, could have been this opportunity. That yes. only he takes. There's things that only Mental. he does. He's not, you know, any worse than Rod Wishard at the polish. Like, he's not a worse catcher or a worse defender. Like, they're not his skills, but he wasn't bad at them. I don't remember him being appalling at those things. He certainly wasn't any worse than Wishard. So, I don't get... It's just stupidity. And they I, just get away. As usual, rugby league coaches get away with this sort of thing because he happens to just pull it off anyway. But, so, he then ends up at fullback. For yeah. no root, like because of an injury, he happens to be in position to do this wild thing that yeah. is remembered. So we put this up on Facebook through the week. Who, who, uh, what do people remember of this game? And everybody, of course, says, oh, Nathan Blacklock, Nathan Blacklock, Nathan Blacklock. Mm. Uh, even though they lose the game. It's one of the great, like, losing grand final tries. And it only it happens. It's one of the great tries, period, in, yeah. in, in a grand final. It, it, if they, I wish they won so it could be properly remembered for what it was. But, look, the, the only thing, like, just to add or, or to emphasise what we've just said is they go on to lose this game extremely narrowly. So, let's just, like, for all we know, and we can go back and isolate how many times Rod Wishard touched the ball while Blacklock was off, but Blacklock could have done this again. Yeah. Wishard does touch the ball while he's off. There's every chance because he does this. He scored 23 tries that year. He scored over 20 tries for like four years in a row. He scored yeah. nearly 30 one year. Is that every time Wishard touched the ball while Blacklock was off is a chance that Blacklock might have chip kicked to himself, jinked back to inside, spin past one and scored because he did it all the time. Every week. And it's for his whole every career. Week. And it's just base stupidity. It's yes. base stupidity. Like, leave Wishart on the bench and bring him on if someone gets hurt. Bring yes. him on when Patton got hurt, sure. But, you know, it, it I, just makes no sense. Fury. I was just watching. I didn't realize. I'd forgotten that this happened. Just abject. I, yeah. The second thing, Sterlo really agitates for Blacklock to go back to fullback. He's like, no, no, no. It's got to be Blacklock. Um, and, and Rabs is going, oh, I think they'll be nervous about, you know, I think they'll be nervous about him under the high ball. Sterlo throws him a bone and says, oh, they might put Jamie Ainsco back there, which is an alternative timeline. <laughs> if, it, if it had been Ainsco sweeping onto, yeah. the <laughs> onto this ball, he would have got tackled on halfway. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's anyway, right. <laughs> Luckily, Sterlo shows some humility here in, does. like, grace in being right. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. So Blacklock does this incredible thing to score the try. And Sturlo is like not just vindicated, but angrily vindicated and decides to just take no prisoners uh, and absolutely maul anyone who's doubted him. He says, somebody called him a bumbling player in the paper this week. What a joke that is. <laughs> I know. It's so good. This is, he just starts spraying everyone who, who doubted Blacklock. It's, it's so, good. so good. And rightly it's, so. Because oh, like that. if you were on commentary at that point, 
you would have probably got hauled off midair, Kerry Packer style. But like, it would have been fairly similar from you, that kind of vituperative outburst against all the haters. Well, I'd have gone Bill Laurie style when he has oh, to be yeah. knocked out and taken out of the box after the Merv hat trick on the 12th man. Like, I'd have just been spraying everyone, sort of yelling, swearing at the weather, like swearing at the other team. Because I, I loved Blacklock. He was such He's a wonderful player. player. No, yeah. t- no team you ever have, you don't put him in. Because whatever tactic you come up with, you go, yeah, cool, we'll put this play, this big winger over here to do this. But let's just have Blacklock in there. Yeah. It's just, you'd just have him, wouldn't you? Yeah. It's, it's so good. He doesn't need, you know, like if you've got great players around him, even better because you'll score 40 tries. But like he doesn't need any help. He just does stuff like that by himself. You can just give him the ball and, and stuff will happen for you. Yeah, he came sixth. They, they came sixth or something the next year. No, in fact, they missed the eight the next year and he still, <laughs> still scored 27 tries or 25 tries. Yeah. Um, so it's for, so Bartram kicks the goal, 14 nil, storm in huge trouble. The, they had made 138 tackles to St George's to St George Lawrence 78 at this point. The Dragons had had 62 percent of the ball. Uh, Kamali really does the first kind of helpful thing of the game. In about the 35th minute, he bangs a 40 20, um, which is a really good play. Can I say for 14 nil down kick. when they were getting belted? It's a wonderful yeah. bit of play. Um, and but then he bombs out on the full when they get down there. You kind of got Lazarus kind of ruefully shaking his head. Wishart turns it over. They get another go. Nothing really happens. It's kind of like the play fizzles out. You go into half time and it's just not happening for them. Like they're just not quite there. No, I think that's about right. Um, I, I don't have much to, to add. I want to talk about Melbourne's attack, but I'll wait till we talk about when the comeback to go through that. Yeah. I think the only thing I'd really add to it is I, I think we've covered a lot of the really important stuff. I'll just briefly touch on how mad Tawira and Nickow was. So in that oh, first yeah. half, Firstly, he clobbers the living shit out of Luke Patton. Like, he's an absolute <laughs> bell ringer. It's so good. Like, he just clobbers him bringing the ball back. And he tries to get in three fights. Like, he tries to fight Trent Barrett. All just, like, non-event. Like, St. George yeah, yeah. have the ball or Melbourne have the ball and there's a bump on Like, someone bumps him off the ball gently. Tries to punch on with Barrett. Then five minutes later, he tries to punch on with Timmins. And then he tries to punch on with Craig Smith, which I wouldn't advise. No. I reckon he could handle himself, Craig Smith. It was so good Craig, to wear, probably. Craig Smith, had, Craig Smith had a game... Uh, had a game for Lakes United in the Newcastle Rugby League about four, four or five years ago at 45. Mm. And I still wasn't overly keen, can I say? I, no, I don't think no. I'd have been, I wouldn't have wanted him running at me now. Um, no. I wouldn't have been punching uh, on with him in his prime. Yeah. No, no. I, I just thought we should note that just quickly because he had a good game to wear. I wouldn't he have did. been upset I, if he caught the was, Churchill. He was, my, yeah. he was my Melbourne pick, I think, to wear mm. if they had won. Like, if, yeah, if you were going to give it to the side that won, I, I would have given it to him. Um, just before we go just, to the second half. Yeah, just as, as they have well. some just yeah. on Tawira Nickow, didn't yeah. they have some specimens in that Melbourne side? Him and Steve oh, Carney yeah. and that like they're just physically they really presage the the kind of physicality of rugby league players now, but quite a bit before all of that had started, you know, it was still kind of the sports science hadn't quite taken over football. But like Steve Carney there's, there's not a little difference between Stephen Kearney and, say, Sonny Bill Williams a few years later. Like, they're just absolute petri dish units. Oh, Steve Kearney's your prototype. If you try and build in a lab, a second edge, second row, oh, yeah. um, you're building him. He, he, was, oh, he was perfect. My, my, perfect. Father, my father still talks about seeing Steve Kearney at a, at a Newcastle at Knights versus Melbourne Storm game in about it, possibly this season that we're talking about. Still brings it up how good his physique was. Mate, I've never got. I just. Right. I know I've talked about. That, mate, that's Steve Kearney. God Almighty, you know, like still, <laughs> it was twenty years ago. I can see um, why. Yeah, it sort of sticks with you, doesn't it? You did it stick does. out. Um, you did a bit. Yeah. No, I, I, 
just a little tangent because we brought up Craig Smith just before we do the second half. Can I just make the, the sort of gratuitous point about the Knights here for a second? Always, that, as uh, is tradition. Is a, yeah, well, there's seven, there's six former Knights and one future Knight playing in this game. There's seven mm. people. It's just an unusual, as a team that never did any good apart from this exact error that these players don't play for the Knights in. It's just unusual that you would have well, seven players them, from the Knights playing in a grand final. Most, most of them Newcastle products as well, right? And um, yeah. and, and it's funny that there was this period between about 1995 and 2000-ish where they, pro- they kind of produced all these players all at once. They had yeah. almost two teams worth of players. You know, like Brett, Brett Kamali at no point in his career basically could have got a game as Newcastle's halfback because they happened to have Andrew John. Um, there's a lot of guys there who were forced out because, but like Ainsco and all of these, they got forced out because there were like Owen Craigie was coming through and what's uh, Matthew Gidley was coming through and all these guys. Um, you, they, they have this period where they produce two clubs worth of first graders mm. and then have produced about three first graders since. Oh, it's incredible. It really is. I'm so dirty on it watching some of this back. Robbie Ross plays for Australia, wins a oh, grand yeah. final. He's a wonderful um, player. At fullback. He's a really good player. You got career cut short but he was a really really top player so he he's from newcastle he played first grade for the knights briefly and, and was o'davis's understudy um he wasn't even the point, best he wasn't even the best robbie at the club no in, in no. his position no his position that's right uh, he he you know is a really top line fullback and there's no other point in the knights history till probably when they signed ponga um that yeah. he wouldn't have been the best fullback by a standout that uh, brett kamali would be the I go so far as to say as good as Baderis was Kamali. If he had a played his career, he would have been the second best player we've ever had. If he yeah. was born at any other time, um, then you've got Scott Hill. Never played for us, but he was a junior here, um, and it sort of got cut, caught up in those Super League years. He did play for the Mariners. Uh, Scott, geez, I would have had Scott Hill playing with Joey just, just quietly. A bit, just a bit. Oh. I know he's not. I know he doesn't <laughs> play in this game, but I, it would be remiss oh. not to mention how good a player Scott Hill was. It's very unfair yeah. that he missed out on winning a comp. There's so many. There's so much dross that win yep. competitions. Mm. And he was such a good player. The fact that he never even played in a grand final uh, is yeah. sinful. Yeah, that's right. And you toss him in and then go with Rodney Howe, played first grade for the Knights as yeah. well. Paul Marquette uh, played for the Knights and comes back to the Knights. The Paul great Marquette. Man. Yes, now I, I, we're talking about people who've played in grand finals. Paul Marquette, people don't, people don't remember. If you said who won the grand final in 1999 and then again in 2001, Paul Marquette. But both off the bench. But, uh, yeah, he made 20 tackles in the first half of this game from the bench. So he wasn't, you know, he's come on halfway through and just thrown himself about to make 20 tackles in the game. Um, that, yeah, he was, a, he was a really... Um, he's one of those Billy Peden-style players that Danny yeah. Baderas talks very highly of. He says every club needs these guys who don't play rep football, who just are just constantly working their asses off at training and every day and doing that and set sort of examples for people coming through. Um, and he gets a lot of raps from guys like that, like really elite players talk about him as a guy who was just that no-nonsense, doing every single little thing he could to be a first-grade player. So, mm. so full credit to him winning two competitions and two Absolutely. very good sides. Yeah, um, and being one of those kind of forgotten cogs in, in really good really good yep. premiership teams. Um, after half-time, the Storm have obviously had a talking to from the coach about using the ball. They start throwing it around a lot more. There's a real, there's a real change in their, their, their attack. But, and they, they make a bit of a half-break early on and get a penalty to kick, um, to kick and kick the goal at 14-0 down to go to 14-2, odd. which is its odd. own... Yeah, it is odd. Um, but then the, the the pattern of the first half kind of resumes and the Dragons 
They nearly score in the 47th minute. Barrett grubbers through. Blacklock's, you know, half inch away from getting it. Um, there's a half break from Darren Tracy. Um, the Storm just keep dropping the ball. And they, and the Dragons should be killing them at this point. This this should be it. It's 14-2. They should score again and kick three tries clear. And they would have kicked uh, three tries clear if things had gone a little bit differently in the 51st minute. Now, I made a note that uh, I, I noted earlier that I'd said on Facebook, what do you remember of this game? There were quite a few people who jumped down my throat about Anthony Mundine. Yeah. Anthony Mundine, if he hadn't been so selfish, we'd have won the game. Um, can I suggest having watched back the footage, there is something to that. <laughs> if, so if people aren't aware of what we're talking about, uh, he puts a grow. They're on the attack. They've got them on the rack. Ten out. He puts a little grubber in. Kamali slides in to pick it up and spills it. Um, it falls into the path of Mundine. He's about two metres out. He actually dummies the two unmarked players and then tries to put the ball over the line. And the Melbourne Craig Smith comes over the top and tackles him and he drops it. Um, and it's it's disallowed by the video ref. Um, is there any, you know... Is there any kind of defence of Mundine here? He probably still should score having thrown, having gone himself, but, you know. Uh, I've been grappling with this all day since watching it. I watched it this morning. I've been really grappling with this. Uh, you know, my instinct is, because you know, I don't want a dog whistle, so my instinct's really not to really shit Kenny. But um, no. I watched it a couple of times um, and tried to really think if the selfish thing is fair or not. Because um, he's such a personality that it's so easy to say. Like, I think if Trent Barrett did it, there'd be less people saying it was selfish. It, it yeah, is yeah, yeah. the product. It's a product. He was a villain. Uh, is oh, a villain. Yeah. It's a product of who he is. So it's hard to untangle all of that. You know what I mean? It's like it's like when Ben Hunt makes a mistake in a final. Now that's who he is. And Mundane being this sort of me, me, selfish sort of villain is part of who he is. So yeah. it's part of the narrative. So I'm trying to untangle that and come up with a view. Uh, I've watched it. I, I've paused it. I watched it a couple of times. I don't know. I'm on the fence. I don't, I, you know, it's yeah. insti- because if he had more time, I might really shit can him. But it's he's really yeah. close to the try line. Like he's a centimetre out from the try line, right? And he picks the ball up yeah. and this guy's in front of him and he's played a lot of centre in his career. Like a lot of people, he runs wide and this guy's there and, you know, you can pass or you can dummy and he hope the guy slides out and cuts through and the, the, he has one second to side. He picks it up off the ground, sees the guy there. He's literally 30 centimetres from the try line. I can't emphasise mm. enough that he's practically over it. And he sort of just instinctually, in my mind, I don't think he ever made a call. Like, I don't think he ever thought, I can score or I can pass. I literally think he picked it up and instinctually, like, made the call to dummy without really thinking about it. And he's the sort of guy that does play off the top of his head and a lot of the time what he did off the top of his head was right. Yeah. Um, how many times do you see a center where you go, oh, why didn't he pass it? Or, oh, he should have dummied. Then he went in, like, he's got him, you know, he should have dummied and gone himself. But yeah, it happens all the time. And they bundle him out. And, and it's really easy to make those calls after it happens. But it's sort of just like at the time, you've got to make a call on what you see. And I just think he got it wrong. Yeah. I, I, I don't think that, but he's, you're right. The thing is, you say he got it wrong, but he drops it over the try line. Like, he, he still he should have scored. scored. Yeah. It so it's it hard to say. Matter. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he it's really bugged it up work. by scoring. It, it's a good yeah, bit of work from just... Smith. But it, my point, I guess, is that whether or not yeah. you think he was selfish, it does change the game, right? Like, it, it's oh, a it's big... the wrong decision. It, it's a mistake. It, it, he should have if passed he, if, the ball. if they score, yeah. whatever way, whether it's whether, yeah. he, whether he passes or whether he gets it down or whatever, if they mm. score, um, game's over. Game's over. It's eighteen two. Kick to mm. come. There's no. There's no. There's no way back. They don't. No, um, no. Particularly with what happens next. I will say though. I, 
you kind of Anthony Monday's football career is kind of almost in most people's minds secondary to all of his carry on and chat. Mm. And he's now probably remembered more as a boxer anyway. But geez, there's a lot of you can see a lot of the reasons why he was very good. I mean, people forget he played in the grand he played in the grand final in '96. He won the Super League grand final in '97. Then plays in this grand final in '99. There's a lot of especially early in the game he runs the ball a lot and throws the dummy and he's um you, you yeah there's a hell of a lot to like about him mercurial footballer yeah um yeah he is it's it's hard i i, I was watching him you know who he reminds me of a lot the, the comparison's oh. not perfect but he reminds me a lot of a very young running jonathan thurston when he came oh, through when he was all dummy you remember when jt was a real forget the counting the numbers and real clever late stuff remember when he was the real dummy show and go, go runner, yourself yeah. give the short ball and he used to run and run and run um and he was really really good at it. he won a couple of origin series in a row pretty pretty much by the show and go but late in his career you never heard them say watch his show and go because he was just an experienced head counting the numbers and being clinical but when he was younger he had that real flashy dummy and go get himself through duck his head through the line and, and use his feet and mundane not not a perfect comparison but he's a very similar to a young running first and in, in terms of style um i'd like an answer from you i I've, i'm giving mine that I, I i think it changed the game and he should have passed it but i don't think it was a selfish play or a decision to score himself i think in the heat of the moment he had to you know quickly decide what he thought he thought he was going to score and he made the wrong call what do you reckon yeah are you, you shit canning him or you not no no i think that's about right i look I think it's 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 mostly unfortunate, right? Like whether he dummies or not, he should, he should he like he still should have scored. Yeah. Just if he gets it down, they they win, you know. I yeah, I can just understand why Dragons fans would identify that. If you go back over it, over the wreckage of the game later on, you go, oh, that oh, was yeah. that was the moment, you know that. Especially because it's one of them. 20, 20 yeah. years later, you know, like that. None of the other stuff should have been allowed to happen because of this. No. Um, there is maybe one more we'll get to, but yeah, there's probably two moments. Probably right. <laughs> um, but, but you're right. And, and the theatre of him, that's part of football, isn't it? That hmm. these things are what happened. There's these sort of villains, like Willie Mason became a bit of a villain at the Bulldogs in his time. Like you get these guys that sort of fill these roles and he they're always filled that to, role. They're very quick to be the, the, the to, to wear the blame if things start to go wobbly in the team as a whole. Yeah, um, yeah that, that's right. And he played that role and he did make the key, one of the two key sort of errors are he's much more offensive than JKH however was to anyone. So yeah, it's that's sort right. of easy to, to remember it for sure. Um, then and I'm going to go through this. Look, that is one of four things that happen in the next, in that 10 minute period between the 50th and the 60th minute. Um, they so um, having just not quickly, scored, yeah, just, sure. just quickly, I, I, I just make the point. Ev, we, we said the game continues in the, as it did in the first half, but I'll just quickly make the point that that is true. But honestly, Melbourne, I, I really want to emphasize to people who haven't watched it how much Melbourne got the wobbles just before this. Like Lazo makes two knock ons really quickly in a row. One of them's a real stinker where he just knocks it on and they hit up, his head goes down. They make a few really wobbly errors, like some bad kicks and knock ons, a few missed tackles where it goes from we're getting in the first half, I felt like they were just getting beaten. They get these real jitters, the shakes, oh, yeah, like they're terrible. just really on the ropes. They're, they can't they're sort of the No, nah, boxers' terms, they started to stagger. And yeah. they just need to be clocked in the head. Just like finish them really, off, Dragons. Yeah, like, it's, irrespective yeah. of Anthony Mundane, the, mm. at some point they just had to score there. The, 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 one yep. of those things had to end up in a try. And when it doesn't, yep. the, the, the Storm then find their way down the field 
And mm. in the 54th minute, they score through Tony Martin. It was, God, it was good to see Tony Martin's stupid headgear again. That idiotic orange on the top of the headgear. He looked like a button-up pumpkin. I loved it. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Oh, I had the same thing in my notes. I just or said, a bike, Jesus, like a bike helmet Tony or something. Martin. It just, yeah. yeah um, it's good. There, there are three the tries in a row here, right? 54th minute, mm. Tony Martin scores. 57th minute, Mary McGregor scores. 58th minute, straight away, um, there's a try to Ben Rorty. Can I put it to you, my learned colleague? Mm. None of these tries are any good. This is all very dramatic <laughs> and wild, but none of this is good football at all. The first Tony one Martin's is soft. The first one Pretty is soft, soft, and it's a forward pass. Yeah, it's, Matt, it's, it's Matt Guyer kind of just dawdling at a dummy mm. half and throwing it to Tony Martin. The ball is a mile forward, and he just strolls mm. through. There's no reason for him to score. Then the second, the, the McGregor one, the Dragons are just chucking it around. Barrett think, oh, well, I'll kick. Bombs to the corner. Wishart goes up for it against Marcus By. The ball falls into the arms of our Lord and Saviour, Paul McGregor, who just catches mm. it and, take, and 25 minutes later runs the two minutes to score, the two metres to score. And then um, Wishart drops it off the kickoff. Kamali, like a couple of plays later, Kamali gets it, throws this pass. It was a nice pass, but there's no reason for there to be space out there. Rorty just runs through this yeah. chasm in the St. George defence. They have a, a runner run in, um, like run onto the short ball from Kamali and he throws long instead. And for no reason, the guy that should have marked out on Rorty just sprints in. So they put two Barrett, players. That's who it is. It's Trent Barrett. Barrett is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they, they run two in on the on the, the short runner and just leave a gaping hole. I, I, the only part of any of that was any good was Kamali's pass was all right. And um, look, Barrett showed it showed some cojones there. He kicked on tackle four. It wasn't the last tackle. And yeah. he sort of saw a contest. I'm not sure if I'd kicked a Rod Wishart as a contest, but <laughs> he ne- nevertheless, like it, he sort of saw there was like a genuine one-on-one near the edge and sort of, it takes a little bit of guts, I guess, to kick early in the count. So that's sort of clever play. But um it was a, then it was just a messy sort of whatever try because it bounces off the winger and Mary gets it. So yeah, it, it's all really exciting and chaotic. But you're right, it wasn't wasn't particularly. It's not like football. yeah, and but the thing about all of this, of course, is that from fourteen two and like waiting to apply the killer punch, suddenly after with uh, ten minutes later, it's eighteen twelve. And the storm have found a way into the game in a funny kind of way. Suddenly the storm are throwing punches and, and, and landing them. And even though Saints have scored, the storm didn't look like scoring for 50 minutes and suddenly they're into the game and they're, you know, they're a genuine threat in their own right. Um, and then they get a penalty. Yeah. yeah. And then they get a penalty in front of the posts and it's like after with four minutes later and then it's 18, 14 and, you know, suddenly it's a game for the first time. Mm, yeah, that's right. It's all turned. So about the 60th on, Melbourne suddenly get all the running and that doesn't really change. St. George don't no. fire any more shots. There's probably, that's probably a good point just to briefly touch on uh, sort of uh, football, the history of football attack and stuff. I'd like to... Brett Kamali is a really interesting case in football uh, because uh, for those that are old enough to remember Noddy's prime, uh, him and Chris Anderson implemented the flat attack. Yes. Um, it was talked about ad nauseum for a lot of years, the flat attack, the flat attack. It was very evident in this game that they were playing it. They don't play with any depth. Um, they struggle sometimes to play with width because when you play flat, it's very hard to pass the ball sort of three wide, isn't it? Because you're... Yeah, you know, they don't the play with any width. Up, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So I just want to make the point that I try to say what changes here because... And, and I think that this is both the strength and the weakness of Brett Kamali as who is an elite all-time halfback. 
Um, the way he plays in the first half, they play this flat attack and flat attack and St. George handled them and they're, they're on top of them and they don't get a lot of momentum. And the way that they want to play doesn't work like that yeah. at all. It just doesn't work. When they get on top of them and ride on top of the game, it works a treat. When they're rolling, because Kamuli is fast as hell for a halfback. We don't get to see it much in this game, but he, he scored a lot of tries at Melbourne. He, he scored yeah. sort of every two or three games. He's got a lot of tries early in his career. And he was lightning fast, and he used to go bang straight and play flat. And all of a sudden, you, you're going backwards, and these guys are at you all the time. You get no recovery. You see all this awful stuff now. Someone makes a line break, and then you throw these deep sweeps, like sort of these block plays out the back. To allow the, the defence behind. Yeah. Yeah, and they're all coming up and catching breath. But he played so fast and at you when you were tired. And St. George really struggled to cope with it once they were tired. And the reason I sort of mention it as a strength and a weakness is because it lets you play really, really excellently off the front foot. And it's hard to implement that well when you're not winning the ruck and, and rolling. When the other team is on top of you or handling you, it's very hard to make it work. And I, I, that's what I noticed in the first half is when they were not winning the game, it was really hard for him to fire shots because you, you're trying to play this flat style and the defence is standing there. They see you coming. There's no ability to throw it much wide of them and it's yeah. really easy to handle. And I bring it up because Brett Kamali is an interesting sort of character in the game. He's one of those guys. Alexander had this rep as well from a few older people where they go, oh, they didn't do that well at Origin. And Kamali had a bit of that. And his best series was when Joey and Freddie played. So that sort of helps that as well. Um, one thing with him is that that's probably a reason for that is that if you're going to play this sorts of style, Origin's exactly the sort of slow rack, really close type game where you don't get that pace doesn't, doesn't work, um, yeah. that he wants. Yeah. He, you know who he's a good uh, reminder of? Different style of players, but the same way that Kiri is an absolute unstoppable yeah. sort of player when, when the roosters are rolling, he yeah. is so hard to handle, but he's not a guy who finds it easy to turn that. When you're getting no. whacked, he can't pull the same tricks out that say, Thurston, that's unfair because Thurston's so good, but there's halfbacks that can play a bit better from an even game or a back foot game. Yeah. But there's very few people as good as Kiri off a front foot game. And Kamali was like that. When you were rolling, he was as good as anyone who's ever played the game off the front foot. That's a, that's and, a good shout, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right. I just yeah, wanted yeah. to stop and really sort of break no. into that because they get unstoppable here. And so George A can't handle them and are just wheezing. No time to collect their breath, and it's just and shot these... after shot after shot at them, isn't it? Like it's really yeah. rapid and there's always weird things start happening. Like there's kicks bouncing the wrong way, and bit, and mm. like players falling on, on the ball, and all this kind of stuff. It's um, there's all these ricochets start happening, and like Craig Chris Lightfall, mm. the light bulb takes a <laughs> takes a slips catch in front of his own posts, and all this business. So it's a, good to see him again. It was good to see him again. Geez, he looked well. Um, yeah, yeah, and then. And, and the possession, we mentioned that at, after half an hour, the possession was 62% to the Dragons. By the by, this stage of about 10 to go, it's 53% to the Dragons. So it's evened up a lot. The Storm have had a lot of ball in the second half. Suddenly the Dragons look a little bit tired. And um, and suddenly, you know, the Chris Anderson masterstroke of the four forwards on the bench. Imagine having four forwards on the bench in unlimited interchange. Strikes me as... It's so, it's so stupid. I don't yeah. care if it, if it works. It's just stupid because if you can pull people off, you could have done the same thing with three. It's yeah. not had the worst just, forward there it's and not just covered if, an injury. Yeah. The rotation, but, you've got so many resources anyway. Yeah. It I don't understand yeah. why you wouldn't have a half because they have Matt Geyer, who is um, <laughs> one of the 
games really great club utilities, like a great yeah. clubman who could cover spots. But if Brett Kamali got injured with a Richard Swain, like Robbie Ross is a running fullback, Richard Swain is like a really old school tackling hooker. And then yeah. Matt Guyer, what exactly do you do? Like, you know, like the sure. Dragons could have put Mundane at halfback or if Barrett goes down or Nathan Brown can ball play. Like you yeah, can sort they of had no other creative about, outlet on the field. Nothing to do. And yeah. I should have mentioned that before that when we talk about them struggling in the first half, there is an element that if when you're not winning those rucks, if you target Kamali, they had nothing else to fire. Right. Whereas if Scott Hill was there, there was an extra kicker, an extra ball play. There would have been a lot more um, avenues for them. But yeah, you're right. It's, it's funny you mentioned that because about the four forward bench, because one criticism I was going to make of the Dragons is as much as Noddy's style really was shot, shot, shot at them and I understand why it puffed them, I don't get how you get that tired and unlimited interchange because literally you could be giving people a two... <laughs> two minute rest like you can literally defend a set and go you back on you off and roll through so you really yeah. should be fresh enough because you should be training hard enough to get tired and you should be able to roll them on and off the field so no, i don't really get so how they were so gasping for breath they for were they were they, minutes. they yeah. did they were gone gone in the gone in the head and gone in the legs i think um one of the things i didn't realize about this game i always had it in my mind because i was you know seven when this was played mm. that i'd always thought i've never watched it again I always thought that the the penalty try was like in the last minute and that that was it. That was the, 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 Me that too. The, that, that mm. was the end of the game. I didn't realise that it was in fact in the 76th minute and that there were a couple of sets after that. The, the Dragons kind of notionally had a chance to still win. Um, I'd always thought it was literally the deciding, like it decided yep. the game, um, but it didn't. But anyway, the, the Storm get down there and Brett Kamali get jumps out on last tackle. They've thrown a few shots at them and all this. You know, everybody's seen the footage. Kamali jumps out of that first receiver, bombs to the corner. It's a really nice kick. The Dragons, for some reason, are all bunched in the middle. There's nobody out there. Um, they have to... Ainscove, who ends up getting there, comes from, like, close, almost closer to the posts than where the bomb ends up going. Um, out to Smith, who has a clean... There's no contest for the catch. He catches it cleanly in the end goal. And then... Uh, is all but decapitated by Jamie Ainsco. Um, and that's it. The, the video yep. referee is called in to work out what happened. Yep. There's, I think there's quite a bit we need to delve into here. Yes. Um, We've got time. Well, look, I'll, I'll, I'll start with um, Jamie Ainsco. Yes. Uh, you know, I'm going to be accused here of, of just sort of letting people off, having let Mundine off as well. I'm giving him a, a bit of a pass um, on saying that this was really unfortunate. Um, I'll nail my colours to the mask. He, he was an ex-knight. I was very fond of him when I was four going to the Knights game. So I'm very <laughs> fond of Jamie Ainsco. He also got that tooth in his arm later and yes, he got it cut off. So I'm very fond of that. Yeah. Yep. But um, look, I wonder if it's the same arm that he um, possibly did this with. Imagine how much it would have been worse. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like they sell old jerseys and stuff. I wonder if they had the framed arm of Jamie Rangeco that had been cut off after Deck and Craig Smith, the wrong Craig Smith. Yes, you're probably. Um, it's, geez, I'd pay something for that, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? You'd have to get a bid together. But uh, anyway, that aside, um, Jamie Rangeco. So everything you said leads me to this conclusion. So you talk about how there wasn't really anyone out there. And he sort of takes it without much of a contest. The wing is sort of a fairly meekly just near it. And Ainsco is sprinting across desperately yeah. to get there and he's sprinting at full pace and the guy catches it sort of standing still or jumping forward. So yeah. he catches it. So you've got a guy that's going straight and you've got a guy coming across 
And a lot mm-hmm. of high tackles happen that way. When someone's going across, they stick an arm out. And he's going flat out sideways, sees that this guy is about to score a try in a grand final and sort of sticks one arm one way and the other out the other way. And the arm that he sticks out that way just clobbers him in the head. And yeah, it just knocks it's him clumsy. Out. It's really clumsy. But it was... He, A, didn't mean to high tackle him. And B... As dumb as a mistake as it is, it was all in this real desperation to save a try in a grand final where he's sprinting for his team towards the corner at full pace and sticks an arm out to try and stop a guy who is actually falling because the guy's jumped and he's falling. So he's running sideways, sticking an arm out, and Craig Smith is falling mid-jump. He's jumped, he's coming down, and it's like a split-second thing, and it's obviously a massive poo-poo to understate it a little. But I'm not... I'm just not crucifying him as some sort of, you know, villain of the situation, other than to say it's just incredibly unfortunate and sad. That that I think that's the right. That I, I, I'm, I, I've, had, I've watched this, I've watched it back a few times and, and thought the same thing, that, you know, it's, it is clumsy and all of that, but also... It, it's and dangerous. Often, I mean, it, yeah. it mincemeats him, yeah. Oh, yeah, knocks him a Far off, Craig Smith. He cops three, he gets concussed three or gets hit in the head three times in this game. Do you see when he goes off yeah. just covered with blood in the first half? Like, just yeah. his whole face is just red. Um, I hope he got knocked out by the other Craig Smith. That would have been oh, a really geez, good moment. One yeah, of his I knees, think, the big knee up. A kind of Smith inception situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, you're right. He cleans him. He just knocks him out cold. Um, there are some wonderful kind of... There's a lot of wonderful speculation. So the, re- the video referee takes three minutes to make this call. Mm. Um, and... The, the, the commentators just kind of bandy this around because it's kind of as dramatic and wild as it is. It's pretty obvious what there's only one thing that can happen, right? Once you've seen one replay, there's, there's no other decision to make. Um, well, unless you're Sturlo. <laughs> St- or, or does Sturlo go in? Oh, well, Sturlo yeah, starts talking just, about eight. the rule, yeah. This, this is what I was hoping to get to. And Lazarus mm. does this. Glenn Lazarus in his 13th year of first grade football, one of the great careers mm. ever, is totally unaware of the difference between an eight-point try and a penalty try. And so is Sturlo. And so, it seems, are 75% of people who watch rugby league. So I'm going to say that... those people could be an immortal, like yeah. Sterling yeah, or yeah, Lazarus, yeah. without knowing the rule. And yeah. they don't know the rule. Right. So I'm yeah. just going to... For anyone who, at home who's still confused, let me explain. A penalty try is when you are prevented illegally from scoring a try. Right? You are going to score. Someone does something like, for example, try to knock your head in from Homebush to Auburn and you drop the ball, that's a penalty try, right? Because you would have scored, but you didn't because of a foul. Try as a result yes. of a penalty yep. is a good way to think mm. about it, right? Yeah. An yep. eight-point try is where you have scored and somebody comes through and knees you in the ribs or pushes you after the tackle or kicks you or whatever. It's a, a foul in the act of scoring, right? So you, that's the one where you get the, the penalty, uh, you get the goal because you've already scored, you get your ordinary conversion, and then you get the penalty goal from in front. That's an eight-point try. What happens to Craig Smith is a penalty try. I don't want if anybody Craig else... If Smith had have scored, if yes. he had have scored, it could have been an eight-point try. That's yes. the easiest distinction. If he puts yes. it down and Angeco knocked him out, so if he held onto it, which would have been fairly impressive. And we've um, cleared this up but, now. Yeah. We've cleared this up for all time. I don't want to hear anybody... I, on Fox Sports Channel 9, ABC, any, I don't want to hear any more people in rugby league media talking about penalty tries as eight-point tries or eight-point tries as penalty tries. That's it. I didn't know it was confusing. 
No. Like they I started, I started to doubt my sense of self because Sterlo, who was one of the great rugby league minds, it was talking all this stuff. And I started going, what? Like, if I, no. do I not understand the rule? Because this guy's like fairly authoritative on rugby league. And then did you get onto him when he started saying, yeah, so it's a penalty try. So it's a try, but he has to kick it from the sideline. Yeah. Like again, that, did you hear that? He tossed it that, out. Yeah. Second point, second point. A penalty try is a kick from in front, whatever, wherever the foul took place. That's it. That's the rule. Mm. I just It's like an extra bit of gravy. You would have scored the foul preventing you, so you get the try and to sort of say right. you shouldn't really foul people to stop, you get the kick in front. That's the gravy. And that's the critical thing. Is that mm. that's why this is so this is so important. This, that's why this in a strange way, Craig Smith getting knocked out much like Homer Simpson winning the the nuclear power plant baseball competition by getting hit in the head. He, by getting knocked out by Jamie Ainsco, he improves the position of the kick and turns a mm. kind of 50-50 chance into they've won the game 20-18. to 18. Mm. Um, So in a funny way, if Ainsco had not even chased, the Dragons would have been better off. Yeah. Which is the cruelty that's of right, that's you know, right. Yeah. That, that's it's, funny that, right. it's funny that Craig Smith... <laughs> so Craig Smith played 22 first-grade games. Mm. He played two for the Bears in 1995 and then 20 across two years for the Storm. He was only in. He was only in the team because Scott Hill had got injured, and then dear old Chris Anderson dropped his own son from the from five eight <laughs> and brought Matt Guyer in to play six for the rest of the season. And so Craig Smith comes in and does a job on the wing. It's very funny that Matt Guyer at this point had been the goal kicker, had kicked, had scored two hundred and forty points for the season, and had the kicking taken off him in the grand final. Yeah, for a 16-point season, Craig Smith. He had 16 points for the year. Yeah. A point on the wing. Yeah. yeah. So Craig Smith, but then is the is notionally the, the prime kicker, but instead Matt Guyer is the one who steps up and kicks the goal to turn it from, uh, to, to take it to 20 to 18. He also shanked one Craig Smith early in the game too. He kicks one horribly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it didn't strike me as that good of a goal kicker on what I no, saw. No, I struck that as, it, that, it struck me as very odd, all it's, of that. Um, while we're on Craig Smith, I think I've got one point to make here is like, you know, I like to stand up for injustice in the yes. sport when okay. people are wrongfully looked over and, and, and shunned by the rugby league community. Can I make yes. a point to the league people of Melbourne, to the people of the, the papers, to Fox Sports, to everyone? Craig Smith has been completely wronged here. Now, he is the Darren Albert of the Melbourne Storm. <laughs> match-winning final try yeah. on the bell to win them a grand final, their first grand final in the history of the sport. When do you hear these dickhead Melbourne fans? I want to talk Cam Smith. Nobody's talking Craig Smith. Craig, Craig Smith. No one's talking about him. The Craig Smith. Nobody's talking about Craig Smith, the player. You know, the Cowboys will always talk about Kyle Feltz going yep. out in the corner. Where is the talk of Craig Smith's miraculous try to win them their first ever grand final. If they don't win the grand final, they never get the golden generation. The club collapses in a the indignity of this, the game. The indignity of this is that he actually catches it and is about to have his own moment. Like if, if he doesn't get clobbered, he's going to catch it and fall over in the corner and score the, the match, the levelling try, the possibly the match winning try and become the hero because there will be footage of him jumping around Darren Albert style having scored rather than footage of him knocked out cold asleep on the ground. footage of him kicking the goal. There would also be footage of him kicking the goal. That's true. To win the grand fight, he would have scored the evening try and slotted the goal. Yeah, or Um, had a chance to slot the goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's his moment, isn't it? Absolutely. He certainly had the opportunity. Um, Um, Can I say one last thing on Craig Smith? Brett Kamali. Sorry, do go on. 
advo- watching this live I, now, I mean, watching it now, sorry, mm. I was really hardly advocating that they should make him take the kick as the primary <laughs> kicker to see if he'd still get it. I think he would have had it. I think, yeah, I think he would have been seeing a fair few sets of posts just quietly. Yeah, yeah, I reckon um, he should have slotted it. Still better than Matt Geyer. Yeah, still backing him. Um, Brett Kamali is also robbed, I should say, by all of this, like in a funny way. Like he comes up with a play in the last five minutes to to win them the game, mm. finds the kick, puts it on the winger's chest under pressure. Last, you know, when they're really getting down to the last few minutes, um, that's yep. not remembered as him pulling something out. It's remembered as you know something very strange and Ainsco and all of that. Um, so, you know, Kamali's yeah. probably entitled to be remembered for coming up with that play because, you know, they were going to score off his kick. Even yeah. though they ended up scoring off Craig Smith's head, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, of course, Guy kicks the goal and it's 20 to 18. I, I, like I said, I never realised that there was some football after this. Um, mm. I mean, there's not, you know, the, Marcus Bayer makes a really good run up the halfway, which was good to see Marcus Bayer again. You know, oh, charges yeah. Storm Jewel. I, I was very fond of this Storm side. I hate them now. Like, I hate the Storm yeah. now, but at the time, I really liked them. They had a, really, a lot of really good players and, mm. you know, a lot of kind of funny players like Silly Tony Martin and all of that. Like, it, it, it's, yeah. I, so, Marcus I like them I remember too. really fondly. I, yeah. Mm. Um, and the Dragons, they kind of throw it around a bit at the end, but there's no real prospect of them coming back to win the game. It's very they similar. Look defeated. They, yeah. they look very defeated. They don't really look like they've got anything to give at, at no. all. There. Bar- Barrett makes a really sort of like a really good effort to make a break and do it, and no one's even going with him. It's like there's just no. a lot of them have given up that, that, at that uh, point. And after the game, so many of them cry. I've never seen so many, so many losing players cry on the field yeah. after a game. Like, you can count quite a few. I think Barrett cries, Nathan Brown's in tears, uh, Lance Thompson. There are quite a few of them are completely broken by what's happened, you know? Like, even after 97, they're not like that. It's, I guess they must have known that they had a fairly a fairly unique opportunity with the players that they had. They knew that they probably knew that they wouldn't have them for that long. Um, and so the, it's one thing completely shelling a grand final from 14 nil in front. They, they might have known that this was kind of their best chance they were ever going to have. Yeah, that's fair. I think the other key thing for the Dragons players was that they lost 92, 93 and 96. Yeah. So um, there's a fair few Some of those players. Yeah, there wouldn't have been in. that many from 92, 93, but there was from 96. And the 96 guys would have come in knowing the history of 92, 93 and come through this sort of trying to break through. And they made a really good run in 96 from unexpectedly and don't win. And then you get back there. Nathan Brown definitely played. I think Thompson Yeah, Brad McKay would have played. Yeah. Yeah. And these guys came through and it must be to get there. And, you know, you've had those trials before and to get 14 nil up. Uh, you know, they lost that game in 20 minutes. The, the last 20 minutes yeah. was the, the only... Melbourne didn't lead till the 77th minute of the game. There's no leading at any point of it. Um, it. We've watched other close games, but I don't even think Melbourne put their gloves up like some other died. So we've watched the Bears grapple and just lose, where I think they tried... or, or like Some of the losing sides we've watched deserve more credit. They really battled and battled. I felt like St. George let Melbourne into this. That's the difference, is that they fully sort of let Melbourne get mm. in it and take them. And St. George lost this green final. I, I don't think of Melbourne, I, they deserve credit, sure, but I don't think of them as pulling it out of their hat and getting back. I feel like St. George not only should have won, but had the opportunity to win and they themselves bottled it. 
between yeah. the 50th and the 65th. They firstly didn't ice it, and then they really rolled over when Melbourne came for them. When Melbourne started coming, they just didn't handle it at all. No, they seemed they really to. They, they saw the fear, didn't they? Yeah. Um, yeah, they very much seemed to see the fear. Um, I'll just, uh, I've committed a gaffe there. I realised that Brad Mackay played 92, 93, but did not play 96 because he was at the Steelers by it's that point. Why wasn't he at the Reds? I think he was at the Reds maybe in 95, yeah. But I, right, Reds, I think then he, Steelers. I think he stayed with the ARL is why. Oh, I did too. Yeah, yeah, yeah gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they had Anthony Mundine played in 96 and yeah. Wayne Bartram, Colin Ward, Nathan Brown and Lance Thompson were all there yeah. for the loss against Nelly. Um, as opposed to the, the Storm players who were completely wild and off their heads, um, Glenn Lazarus's cartwheel has become famous. Um, Glenn Lazarus's... Yeah, Glenn Lazarus is screaming like a madman to all of his teammates, deserves to become famous, as mm. does his comment that the big fella upstairs wanted this to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm not sure if he's referring to God or Kerry Packer, um, but it's, I'm interested in the idea that God, you know, I know he's omnipotent, um, mm. according to some people, but I like the idea that God had taken a particular interest in making sure that, you know, that the John Rubo's new club got over the line. <laughs> Um, you know, yeah, um, of, I, yeah that, that's right. Lazo, um, Lazo got his got his fifth premiership. Well, he might have been referring to himself. You know, the big fella that's upstairs big fella. is really apt, apt sort of comment about the great Lazo himself. Um, God, he was. I know we've spoken about it before. Wasn't he Nick? Like he looks like a sort of obese middle aged man that's like got a lot of injuries, like yeah. really struggling and needs a few surgeries. Like that, you know, like those guys that are like 50 and really need to go, they're on the public health system waiting for surgeries. Like he's busted. <laughs> but like, and, and he makes some mistakes, but I quickly want to qualify that comment with saying he was still impossible to tackle. Like every time he ran the ball, nobody could put a shot on him and he made 10 metres. Yeah, yeah. He couldn't oh, he... bend down to pick a ball up. He knocks the one on because he can't bend. He drops it because he can't move his arms. So I tell you what, when he holds onto it, they weren't hitting him, were they? Uh, he makes a couple of good runs later on. Too. He dropped the ball three times in the first 15 minutes, but then really rallied in the second I'm half. I'm going to suggest to you that um, <clears throat> yeah. the unlimited interchange might have extended Lasso's career at that point. I think that's possibly fair. Yeah, I think yeah. that's entirely reasonable um, because you're right. He, he didn't seem, he wasn't hugely, um, he wasn't particularly mobile or anything like that, but he, he still had an impact when he did cart the ball up. I couldn't hit him. Couldn't hit him no. at all. He, he, I've never seen a prop. We've now watched a couple at both ends of his career. Yeah. Never seen anyone like it. No. So again, if people haven't seen him play, best comparison I can give to you is a, a more powerful and much taller Paul Gallen at his prime. Like he has yeah. that ridiculous thick. He was better. I don't get me wrong. But like if Gallen was shorter, but Lazo, it's that same ridiculous thickness yeah, where he's just you can't so wrap broad your arms around them. Just yeah, can't, yeah. Hey, I've never yeah. said anything. That, that's why I say Gallon. It's that squareness where when you tried to whack him, it just doesn't work. But Lazo was a lot better. Like he was bigger, he was yeah. taller and still that thick. And when he ran at you, people will line you up and go whack. And then it just bounces off and you go five, 10 metres. He doesn't knock you to the ground. He's not running that hard. He doesn't look like a Paul Harrigan, Mark Carroll, or, you know, Martin Lang suicide charge. Uh, what, he's just rumbling forward at a nice, reasonable pace. And when you thump him, it doesn't stick. It just doesn't stick. He became, you can't put him on your back. He, Good he, job. He, no, that's right. And he became, he's got a wonderful record. Um, so he's won, he won 89, 90, 92, 93, 
97 if you count Super League and 99. Oh, you didn't play in that. You didn't play. In oh, I didn't play. In, didn't play the grand no, final. Yeah, right. Okay. Yep. But he um he didn't play, and that's why in his speech at the end he really includes Robbie Kearns and Scott Hill. Ah, um, he makes it, gotcha. he sort of says to them he makes a real speech. Yeah, he did make part that of this, and I know how you feel. Um, yeah, he missed the 97 one, which isn't that a statement of what that comp was like? Yeah, just the Broncos like. Just without winning him. easily in grand finals without Lazarus, yeah. Yeah, um, he, he also, um, there's a couple, a couple of things about the post-game, which I think bear mentioning. Um, Chris Anderson, I just, I just thought he looked a lot like a local GP. <laughs> That's he? a really fair comment. He is um, such a miserable prick. <laughs> He's a really good football yeah. But he's just one of those real miserable individuals. Like he, yeah. every story you hear about him, he just falls out with everyone that comes anywhere near him. Well, he ended up falling out with. He goes to. Yeah. He ended up falling out with Rebo a couple of years after this. Yeah. yeah, but he fell out with the he fell out with the Bulldogs because they wouldn't pick his son at one point over one of the Hughes sons. Like he he falls out with like half their players, then falls yeah. out with the club, falls out with the Storm, falls out with the Sharks, falls out with the Australian concept for like plucking out people from the ESL over the English Super League to play for Australia. The Darren Smith incident and like. He, it, but obviously, can I just say that aside? What a wonderful coach! Like a oh, very good record, has, yeah. astounding yeah. record, really. And with, like, and, and, and with sides like you know that Canterbury '95 side and all that, you know the sides that went on unlikely runs, sides that came back, yeah. and all this kind of stuff. He, his teams obviously had a great resilience about them. And yeah, the other one, they, it's funny we talk about Super League. They really triumphantly interview John Rebo on the field after mm. Super League. Can I suggest about four years before this? Like, if John Rebo would have been stuck with pitchforks if he tried to get on Channel 9. Mm. Like, yeah, in about 1996, right. like, it, and they interview him really warmly and congratulations, and he talks about how proud he is of the club and all that. Again, it, it's funny how they really, Channel 9 in particular, um, really kind of caved in on the, you know, to mm. the Super League people and allowed them to, you know, once they, yeah. they broadcasted the matches and all this, there was all this animosity and they really took them on, but when they found themselves outgunned, they really fell into line. When they thought they could make a quit out of showing the Super League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he, um, he, he handled that reasonably well, Rebo. He was fairly um, yeah. humble and not nice sticking in, I thought it's worth commenting on. Like, he, he could have, there's plenty of people in rugby league who could have really used that as a chance to rub a few people up. Yeah. You know, like, given the real life, look at this, like, you know, we've created this fantastic new thing over here and look how well it's worked. Like, you really could have rubbed it in and a lot of people tactlessly would have and he chose not to, uh, maybe for his own safety. But, um, yeah, it was interesting. It was funny to see him interviewed in that context. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's one of those things in the game where he, he was a guy who had a lot of good ideas for the sport, some not so good, and sort of fell out with some people who likewise had some good and poor ideas. And it's good that eventually he sort of came back and had a role to play in the game because he was a good administrator and a former, oh, former kangaroo. And, he you know, set the club plenty up of the very stuff well. He, he well, talks plenty like of the a... stuff he came up with is stuff that is big in the game now. They were his ideas and we take them for granted. No one thinks they're bad ideas quite a yeah. lot. No, that's right. That came out of Super League and his project is stuff that nobody thinks is. We don't like Super League, but nobody complains about various ways the games have gone and that that a lot has come to that. And they modernise the sport and we, we reap some benefits yeah. from that now. Undeniably. Um, yeah, he kind of, there are good and bad in all the, you know, like you yeah. say, they're good and bad yeah. ideas in all those guys. Um, mm who were involved at that time. Uh, yeah. And I, just to mention on Lazarus, he was the only, he's the only player to win three grand finals with three different, to win grand finals with three different clubs. Uh, he also won each club's first grand final. Um, 
the, that too. Yeah. yeah the, the only other person to have played in three in grand finals with three different clubs is Phil Sigsworth, uh, who lost all of them. Um, good. Who did he so, play? Who did he play his with? Oh, I was hoping you wouldn't ask me that. Uh, one of them was New, <laughs> one of them was. With I was going to say I can only guess Newtown. That's the only one. Yeah, I've got. let me have a look for you. I'll yeah, I'll have a look while we're while we're talking here. But I I don't know if you caught much of the post match presentation. Um, I, yeah, I did a little bit. Yeah, it was yeah. yeah. He uh, he he lost with Newtown, Manly, and Canterbury Bankstown. There you go, Phil Sigmund. Yeah, um, the post match presentation. I hate post match presentations. There are a couple of things mm. I particularly hate about them. Um, the sponsors, they always get some pinhead sponsor up to give a speech. Oh, from the people at ANSET, we're really proud to be associated with the rugby league. All this rubbish. Um, yeah, the ANSET guy really said St George should be, you know, they might be disappointed, but they should be proud of themselves. I'm sure that really comforted Mary I, yeah, McGregor and I reckon, hear that from I reckon ANSET. Really, yeah. Like Lance Thompson on the ground in tears. I'm sure mm. hearing from some like, blockhead at work for ANSET. Um, keeping in mind, yeah, well, we you could have said that. I hope, I hope, like, Nathan Brown or someone called up the bloke from ANSET two years later when they went like went into administration. So look, I know you're really disappointed right now, but think of the you know think of the positives. You you're entitled to be proud of yourselves for what you've done. Um, yeah, I'm sure it made right. them feel a lot better. Spigs. <laughs> anyway, um, a couple of things about sponsors just quickly. JJ Snacks had advertising hoardings at the grand final. Do you did you ever have JJ, JJ Snacks? I did. Yeah. I, did. I did. I was a fan of them. Yeah. Just JJ like, Snacks and Tasty Tubes were my thing. I was really just this kind of, they're just these kind of gristle biscuits yeah. covered, covered in chicken salt and MSG. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's nothing better than chicken salt. No. Chicken salt. That's right. You can put anything in chicken salt. Uh, you, yeah. Mary looked like he had some JJ Snacks by this time. <laughs> yeah. It's just a little bit. Pudding. But 15 kilos heavier than Fitzgibbon. <laughs> He's look alike back rower. It would be remiss of me to talk about the presentation without mentioning Rabs. I, yeah. I could count on one hand the amount of times I've seen Rabs on camera during football mm. broadcasts. But he wasn't, red. Why. he wasn't red at this point. He wasn't that he's red. Ready. Yeah, he's getting there. He's not quite red. Yeah. But he, he, he just won't shut up. He gets on the presentation. He just keeps blathering on and on. The presentation goes for 15 minutes because he just won't shut up. It's quite well, bad too. Like he just gives a lot of thought bubbles that are disconnected and like really monotone. Like yeah. it's a really bad, he's quite bad. It's funny because he's a commentator. He's quite bad at public, like at MC. He's really yeah, noticeably poor MC for someone who is on camera. Or I was on looking at it for a bit. I watched yeah. this on, I watched this on YouTube and he gets up in the obligatory uh, double breasted suit, which was all the rage at the time. And, there's still 12 minutes or something left on the broadcast. And I'm thinking, what the hell have they got to do for 12 minutes? They must show the lap of honour or something. Mm. And 10 minutes later, Rabs is still talking about honouring Clive Churchill and honouring the Dragons by acclamation and all of this rubbish. Honouring all the clubs too and the greatest season he's ever seen. That's yeah, yeah, up yeah. Like, I just... Anyway. Juan Antonio Samaranch style, best season ever. <laughs> best season ever, yeah. Um, I just, yeah, it would be remiss of me not to mention it. Gazzy, he was a special fun. guest with the Olympics going the next year. I can Juan Antonio. Juan Antonio. Yeah. I'd like to think so. Special guest of Anset. I think he would have been fairly bewildered by, by rugby league. If you like. Yeah, I think, I think, so. I think how he, it finished would have been hard I, to explain I, I to Juan Antonio. I think he would have had some trouble explaining the difference between... I think he would have struggled with the nuances <laughs> of the penalty try versus eight-point yeah. try. Juan? Yeah, I think that's... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Best explanation ever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> any, any final thoughts, Gazzy, on this wonderful match, which was not very yeah, good look, until the end? I'd just like to look, we put up a post talking about the two halfbacks this week. So I thought I might, might yep. touch on that for anyone who's lasted yep. through. Um, I'm not going to rate who I think was better because I, I would it's have either pointless. of them. I think, 
No, they're both all-time wonderful players um, in their own right. Um, I just want to say that both of them are a little underrated by history, um, by factors beyond their control or that aren't really fair. Um, I think Trent Barrett is one of the genuinely class playmakers of his, of his era. Um, he's a really wonderful player. I thought he had a pretty good game for a young bloke playing halfback. He's in his early 20s playing out of position. Um, he kicked long. He, he's a great defender. He had a really good game. I think the knock on him is always that they didn't win a grand final. And look, I just want to say, I went through and looked at some of these stats today and like Jonathan Thurston won one half, but one grand final as a halfback. Let's scratch the dogs for a second um, yeah. while he played on the bench. He won one grand final as a halfback. Um, Joey Johns won two grand finals at halfback, one of which was in a split competition with the Broncos and the Raiders not in it. Yeah. Um, you know, like... Brett Kamali's won one and it was this one. Um, there's, there's guys out there like Lockyer, like Fittler won one at 5'8", having yeah. played there for 10 years. Lockyer won one at 5'8". Um, yeah. he, he won one at fullback, I know, Kamali's, but it was with great halves. And Kamali's side, um, the sides that he played in were always kind of, he always ended up at like sides that were either big clubs at a bit of a low ebb or kind of insurgent lower ranked club. Like he, he was at Cronulla when they were quite good. I was about but to he was say that, yeah. Canterbury he, when they're on the downswing, like it kind of, I don't know. He went yeah, to that, he went right. stupid Northern Eagles for a year. Like it kind of had a very disrupted sort of career. Mm, yeah, I, that's right. I'll, I'll, I'll jump on him in a minute. Cause that's a very good point with, with him. I was going to, so just on Barrett, I think that the knock on the premiership's a bit unfair. Um, yeah. I've had a look. Um, so, to say he didn't win a grand final or that he's not in that class of player when literally Jamie Angeco clocking a guy is the only reason he didn't win one is a bit harsh. Like going, oh, well, Kamali was better because he won a grand final. He yeah. was a grand final winning halfback. It's like, well, even Barrett had a similar sorts of games and won, you know, like he lost by a minute and it doesn't change what Trent Barrett did in the game. Um, yeah. And I think that the only other time that you can really say they stuffed up with Barrett was the Benji year. They should have won. Yeah. Um, that year, and they, they they got beaten the prelim by. They should have been. They were better than the Cowboys and the Tigers on paper that year, and that was a missed chance. But every other year in that era, you had to cop the, the Knights, the Roosters. You had to cop Fittler at the Roosters, Joey at the Knights, the Broncos with you know at the start Alfie and, yeah. and Kevy, then Lockyer. I just think that he was a very good player who had some good teams to play against, and he had a couple of opportunities and didn't quite get them. And that's I'm just not marking him hugely down for that. I think he was yeah, a he wonderful was right. player. I, I, um, I'm not. I'm not the biggest kind of. I'm not the biggest fan of him, but he had a lot to like about him. I think he's a very good player. Like I don't think he was an all-time was, great or anything, yeah. but I don't think you know he, he was a good player. Yeah, I think if you go through the last thirty years, he's in the top five or six, five eights. Um, but that's you know, there's a top class of your Fittler, Lockyer, Daly sort of players, and he's he's not yeah. much. He's the next rung under. Yeah, um, yeah Noddy. Right. Noddy, I think you hit the nail on the head. I'd say he's a real victim of the circumstances we've already spoke about. So Brett Kamali played at the Knights, um, and that's a normal situation where he was just didn't have a spot. So we'll, you know, that's fine that he went to another club. But he signed with another club, and he was good there. But it was the Mariners, so they fold. So he goes to another club, and they fold. He goes to the Storm at the really inflated Super League deals we've talked about, where the money yeah. was huge, and then he becomes a victim of that that situation where they can't afford everyone can't you can't keep all your players and so he left because there was really no alternative there he left because he was signed a deal that no one could match anymore when the salary cap wound back down and these teams like the knights the broncos the storm the dragons had to wind their players back so he falls victim to that so he leaves the storm you're right he goes to the northern eagles okay so he signs with another club now and this is completely beyond his control too they merge together and fold which yeah. has nothing to do with him. So then he plays 
plays, after all that, finally plays at the club that is his longest club. It's Cronulla, who just aren't really that good at that time. Yeah, they're um, battling, and, but they're not, yeah. Yeah, so what happens there is he goes there with Anderson and Anderson dismantles a really popular team and brings Kamali with him, gets rid of sort of Preston Campbell, who everyone loved. So he goes to this club and he gets associated with Anderson as this disruptor that's come in and a bit like Brian Smith did at Newcastle, like he comes in and he's telling all you guys to bugger off. We're doing it this way now and a new way. And so he was never loved there as much as he deserved to be. And then he goes to Canterbury and takes a team from the spoon to the minor premiership late in his career. And the point that is... Yeah, he, does, he never ends up... There's nobody boosting him in conversations about who the great halfbacks were because he doesn't really belong to anyone. He doesn't have a loyal fan base and that is not really his fault. He, he was... At no other time would he have followed this career path because at no other time, yeah. clubs didn't fold. Like, half of his clubs folded, you know? Um, and, yeah. and he had to leave Melbourne because they were a new club and he had this giant deal. So what you get with that situation is that he doesn't have that fan base really plumping his case because he's not a 200-game legend for someone. And the other thing is that at Melbourne, he won them their first comp, but they go on to have this incredible, incredible world-beating generation that's up there with sort of the, you know, golden generations of rugby league. So whenever you talk Storm, you talk about Cronk and Smith and not about Kamali. And really, the other thing is none of those clubs were big clubs. Like, he didn't play... If he had the sort of career... He wasn't he had on Friday Night all. Football. He played a lot of Super no. Saturdays and not a lot of Friday Night Football. Yeah, he's played that's, for the Mariners, the, the Storm, yeah. the Northern Eagles, the Cronulla even. They're not, they don't have a lot of gravitas. No one until the Bulldogs is a big club. So he never has this career at the, the Roosters now or the Broncos or, or even the Knights. So it's someone that you just... Because the Knights are popular here, I mean. And yeah. there's never that big club that he played his career with that gets your name up in lights. And I just feel... That that's led to him being a little bit underrated where he starts to get talked under half the play today or not in that conversation when he really probably does deserve it. He, he comes back a lot in of his tests. 30s. I was really surprised at how many tests he played. Yeah. Played 20 tests and did, I think, 11 yeah. origins or something like that in a very competitive era. He was a phenomenal player. Yeah, he really was. Good. He won a reserve grade grand final for the Knights in 95 off his own bat. He wins this for the Storm. He, you know, he then goes on... The Bulldogs thing can't be overstated. Everyone told him he was finished. He's in his early 30s. He slowed down. He took a team that finished last or second last, and they won the minor premiership. Mm. They made a yeah, run through a the finals. Yeah, they were good 2009, yeah. Really um, dragged them up. And, yeah, I just I, think that those two players are a little bit forgotten yeah. and don't really deserve it. That's fair. I, I, I think that's entirely reasonable. Um, happy, you know. Uh, it'd be interesting to see, hear what people say about that through the week. It was interesting putting that up. Uh, who do you think was... I sort of just put a thing up saying, who, did you, who would you have out of the two of them? And it's interesting, people on our Facebook, it was pretty well split, but I think it was probably a Kamali. I think Kamali probably had the numbers of the, of the people decision. on there. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, now, a couple, I'll I leave think you the with fact a that we put it up at halfback was probably the, the last probably, point there because Barrett was a 5'8", but that probably yeah. swings it too. I'd have preferred Noddy at halfback, so certainly. Yeah. Um, just to, I'll, I'll leave you with a couple of memories that people shared with us through the week of this game. Uh, Pat on Facebook says, "I remember Gaia jumping over the gap between the stands and running the track uh, between the stands and the running track, hugging people and showing us the premiership ring." And Lazo tried the same, but gave up, thinking it to be safer. So he raised his <laughs> arms, yelling "Yeah!" and a heap of people yelling back at him, all with their arms raised. Um, Craig Walton says, getting into a fight with a Storm supporter who randomly cracked me over the head with a flagpole on the way out. Scumbags. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I'll leave you with Chris, uh, who commented, Lismore Cup, shots, double bourbons at the races, the Clovelly Hotel, the Coogee Bay Hotel, bourbon and beefsteak, some strip joint, trying to stay awake for the lower grades, dragons are home, 
how the Dragons lose that, blowing up big time. Don't remember much more after that. <laughs> that's a day. <laughs> it's a weekend, isn't it? That's, yeah. that's you know, that's, good on him. Full power. It's, every, it's everything that's everything that's good about rugby league in that in that short yes. sequence. Um, <laughs> Gazzy, I think <laughs> I think we'll leave it there. Anyone who's anyone who's lasted this long has got the forbearance of a saint. Um, Thank you, as always, for joining us on the Rugby League Cemetery. We'll be back next time with more. Ten extra sets of six, even with unlimited interchange. You think of the player role. Little one finds some goal. One of the true entertainers of the game. He attacks the football. He slides through. Beats two defenders. There's nobody in front. 24 tries for the season. And just a joy to watch. Nathan Blacklock.